0: Welcome to Savvy Sabs podcast on call-in. This is episode 14. Biden says inflation won't end soon. Biden has recently admitted in a press conference that high gas and food prices won't end soon. What are your thoughts? So I'm going to go ahead and take
1: callers. Feel free to call in. And I'll just chat for a bit as well.
0: So we need to talk about what's happening right now with the economy. So for those who have not been paying attention, Joe Biden did make an announcement recently that we should not expect for the gas prices to decrease anytime soon. We should not expect for the food prices to decrease anytime soon. And I'm assuming that's anything else as well. And so I do want to hear from all of you. How do you feel about this? Uh I'm really concerned. I know that you're probably concerned as well. I just I don't really know. What else we should do, except for the fact
1: that I think we really need to start like working with each other. And organizing with each other. And I want to hear your thoughts on that.
0: So I'm gonna go ahead and take Eric. You're the first caller, and you're on the mic. You just gotta unmute.
2: Yeah. Um, concern doesn't even begin to state it. I like. I'm just thinking about all, all, all like especially around my area. I'm thinking about like all our communities and our communities were already struggling before this inflation happened so really the inflation's just added more stress to already stressed out households and stuff like that and and him and, and Biden really saying that gas and that the gas and food prices won't Come down anytime soon. <sighs> and I'm also with that. I'm also terrified of the backlash from that, and it, especially because because it's more likely going to be a right wing backlash anyway. Um.
0: Yeah. I don't really understand where you're coming from, Eric. Um, I think this is where like mutual aid would be especially important. I do know I saw like friends of mine on Facebook. They were creating groups for to help moms that can't find baby formula right now. Um, some of them have actually gone to the grocery store and they've taken pictures just to show people how those aisles are empty. So, you know, apparently they're trying to get something going just so people will be able to feed their kids. I mean, this is really, it's really unbelievable considering the fact that we live in the the wealthiest country and we're still having this, that we even have this type of issue happening here. Um, I do see a comment here from, Golden I think this clipboard. is from Golden Clipboard. In the chat, says there's a huge left wing backlash coming. There's a huge left wing backlash coming though, as where? well. Where? What's your take on that, Eric?
2: I'm, I'm not sure where that where that left wing backlash is coming from. Because we're, I'm ho I'm hoping we're not counting like, <laughs> God damn it! Hopefully we're not counting like like these. Um, shit libs or whatever. Well, hopefully they're not being counted with that.
0: It, they might be. There, there we, you just commented again.
2: You said it's coming from us.
0: Oh. Um, well, I mean... But we're not that big,
2: though.
0: Right. Right. I gotta tell you, I gotta be honest, Eric. A lot of the liberals that I'm seeing on social media, they are still supporting Joe Biden and defending him. But then I also have to ask, how? like, how comfortable are they? Exactly, but like, how comfortable are they though? Oh, <sighs> it. it
2: th- that's that's why I that's why I like I prefer, I keep telling I kept telling like people like BJJ and other people and like. I prefer the term anti-capitalist left. I'm like, there has to be a distinction here. I don't want to be associated with these with these trash liberals that have privilege and they lack urgency. I don't want to be associated with those assholes.
1: Mm.
0: But I think you brought up a good point. That's what it really goes back to, right? Is the people that lack urgency and the people who do need help right now. I can't sit around and wait for someone else to get elected and I think you just brought up a really good point. This is something we've been talking about a lot over at RBN. It's just that we're getting tired of this. Like we're getting tired of having to defend the fact that we just don't have the time to sit around and wait and there's other things that we could be doing. Like we're not putting pressure on these politicians the way that we could.
2: What
1: yeah. Do you think about that?
0: Yeah that that's
2: true you know even even teaching and sometimes having to stop my class and just check in on my students to make sure they're good um Yeah like I got like I said my my school's an alternative school so you already got a lot of like we well, got plenty of students that are going through different situations at home and other stressors that god knows what what it is, really. And I don't really ask that, those details, but it's like, what the hell? We can't keep adding, adding this mess, and then we're eventually going to hand this world to them. Right. And you hand this world to them, they look at you and go, what the fuck is this? And, and what, what am I going to say to them? Uh, Outside of well, well, yeah, you. This this world is a result of collective fuckery from multiple generations. And congratulations, you're the generation that gets to inherit this shit fest.
0: Eric, how how do you? What are the age group of your students, and are they aware of what's going on economically?
2: Most majority of my students are in high school, because. Okay. With, with our with our school they, they did the dumbest thing in the world and they mixed middle and high school together. <sighs> One of the dumbest mistakes ever. Um, but five out of six of my classes are high school. And and yeah, I bring it up. I yeah, we talk about this and yeah there's, there's a lot of students share, yes, yeah like their family's already struggling before this. So, and especially, the, especially the baby formula shortage pissed off some of my students too. That some of them have ba- have have like baby sisters and baby brothers at home. So, yeah, yeah, yeah there's, there's that. That's and and one thing I and one thing you definitely can't say about them, you know, they they understand lived experience. they have that lived experience. That gives that gives me hope in their awareness. And they, they yeah. won't fall for a lot of the theatrical bullshit that a lot of the elders fall for and still continue to fall for.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Eric, thanks so much for calling in. I'm gonna to go to the next caller. All right, appreciate it, Abby. Okay. All right, Gore, you are now the next caller, you just have to hit The
3: unmute button. Can you hear me? I can. Hi, how are you? So great to be talking to you, Miss Abby.
0: It's great to actually hear your voice.
3: Huge fan, huge fan of yours. Um, You and everybody at RBN. uh, Really, I I, want to talk about uh, real quick framing. They want to call all this stuff inflations, but like to me, maybe I'm just a simpleton. I don't really see the bigger picture, but when profits are up and skyrocketing while we're, you know, just pumping money into the, the war, isn't it just, we have to stop calling it inflation and calling it price gouging. We have to stop calling it what they want us to, how they want to frame it. And we kind of have to drive these narratives to like, really, it's not true inflation. It's not really, you know, I don't know how, how. I don't know if there's things that I am missing and looking at it, but when I'm seeing billions of profits across the board, be it retail or be it oil, it seems very simple to me. That this is all just, a, you know, mechanisms, you know, this is sanctions on the U.S. public. Uh, excuse me, I just don't know if there's, you know, again, I could be missing more things. Maybe it's just a very simple way to look at stuff, but. I don't want to keep calling the same things when like, I don't really think it is that because the, the wealthy are just getting wealthier <laughs> and they're just extract, finding a new way to extract our wealth be, it, you know, mortgages for our parents, college for our generation. They're just finding more ways to keep taking. Right. No, I mean, you're, you're correct. you're correct.
0: I think, you know, I wonder too, sometimes I wonder if, For those of us who do go out and protest sometimes i wonder if we should be protesting not just like at these politicians not just in dc because there's a lot of protests that happen in dc like i'm talking like every weekend but i mean like i wonder if sometimes we need to protest against some of these news outlets sometimes i wonder if we should be protesting like cnn and msnbc and fox news
3: and i've heard so many people talk about it over the years i mean when bernie first ran how many people at the Bernie ra- rallies were chanting anti-CNN things? You know, it's like it's, they always want to paint it a left versus right to distract against the things that, you, you know, unify us, all the class issues. So it's it's just one thing after another. When they drive the narrative or when they just keep home, homes, we have to really call it for what it is and, you know, use whatever little voices we have to, like, just say, hey, Look at it from this perspective. It's like regulations are protections to people that they're supposed to help, but they're supposed to regulate the owner class, not us. Right. You know, like it's it's all on how you look at stuff. Like if they call it protections, most people would be on board for wanting more protections from their government. (laughs) But when it's everything's framed from an owner class or from the protect the powerful, like everyone just eats up and that's where their their narrative and the framing of their mindset starts with. So we have to really challenge all that every single time. Right. And no, I, I, I agree. agree. We have to be out in front of Fox News, MSNBC, and all this stuff because, you know, we have to be seen somehow.
0: Yeah, I know. Like I'll go ahead and let you know too. Like Roger Meadows mentioned this one time that um, I guess, uh, you know, Roger is a driver. And he picked up a host from Fox News and mentioned to them that, you know, you guys are like your ratings are are sinking and more people are listening to independent media. And Roger said that, I guess, one of the hosts from Fox and Friends said, yeah, we know our time is limited. So they know like they're aware that people are starting to tune them out.
3: Oh, I mean, look at all the failed experiments by CNN trying to have their social, you know, their their own media app. Even Trump tried to have his freedom, you know, platform. Every, time and time again, they're going to try digging their claws into this, into our area, into where we want to cultivate and exchange information to try muddying the waters and try getting a piece of it. It's only natural, but that is the, the signs of the times that that the more desperate they're going to keep trying with these stupid ideas and the more times they fail, hopefully it's going to become more apparent that like there's going to be other options and people are going to be alerted to these options. But again, I really don't want to take up much of your time. I really appreciate you miss savvy and you guys teach us so much. I'm an older guy. I'm disabled. I really, I really wish I could be out on the streets more with more people, but like all we can do is support and find our areas. And I hope, uh, Hope all the listeners take that to heart. We all got a place in this fight.
0: Thanks so much for calling in, Gore. Go to the next caller. Have a great night. You too. Okay, no war. You are next. Just have to unmute.
4: Good evening, Sabby. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I, uh... I was just listening to Gore talk about the inflation thing, and I think what he said was was really spot on. Um, it is price gouging. Um, with profits up, they're choosing to. You know, the point I make, especially on gas prices, is that a barrel of oil was about the same price in 2009, 2010. First couple of years of Obama's presidency, and gas averaged about 350 then, um, or three dollars. I think closer to three dollars then, and now we're at 450 a gallon national average. Um, a few weeks ago, I used to be able to get gas around 390, four dollars where I live, and now I can't find gas under 440, 450 a gallon. And uh, yet, the price of a barrel is, is the same. There's no way to explain that other than, than price gouging. Um, did you listen to Jimmy's uh, show this evening before you came on, by chance?
0: Oh, no, I did not. Um, because I actually, on Fridays, I have the show on
4: RBN before Your this one.
0: Yep. And then I eat dinner, and then I jump on to the show. But I didn't. Um, what did they discuss?
4: Okay. Well, he had Peter uh, or uh, Peter Schiff, who's kind of a, frankly, a f- freaking knucklehead. And you know, I wish Jimmy was a little better at pushing back on people when they're wrong. Because the guy, the guy said that inflation is just when the money supply goes up. It's not has nothing to do with prices, and Jimmy didn't push back on that, which is, I think, truly disappointing. Um, and I'm a big Jimmy supporter personally, but you know, inflation is when prices go up, uh, and it can it can be impacted by money supply. But Peter Schiff's like a libertarian kind of knucklehead economist, and you know he was uh, he predicted the the housing crisis in 2008, so he's got, you know, a little bit of a, a bona fide there, but um, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's really interesting to hear people talk about this stuff, who are just so wrong, like Peter Schiff was, and I'm a little sad that Jimmy platformed his ass today, because um, it, oh, it isn't sorry. that...
0: No more. Can you remind me, who is he? That name sounds familiar.
4: Peter Schiff. He is a libertarian. He's a gold bug type of economist. Uh, Peter, S C H I F F, I believe. Um, he wants everything to be based on gold again. Um, definitely a libertarian. Uh, not really interested. In in any sort of government regulation that helps stabilize prices or or helps people out, um, Jimmy brought up the point that right, that Richard Wolf had made on his show a few days earlier, I think earlier this week, and um, where Richard Wolf said, you know, uh, Richard Nixon and FDR instituted price freezes, and said if you, especially FDR, said if you increase the prices at all you as any business you know we're, we're going to do jail you we're going to arrest you it's not we're not doing that right now and it worked it slowed down inflation and it uh, something similar happened under Nixon and then we know it happened in the later uh, latter part of the 70s under under Ford with uh, with uh, who's that Fed chairman um that was around during Obama's uh, Hank Paulson, um, who just did, uh, who just tried to use interest rates to control inflation. And then we had runaway inflation in in the late 70s. And I wasn't alive during that time. I've only read about it. So other people may have better recollections of it. But, you know, that when when you have inflation like we have right now, you kind of got to put your foot down and just take control of things and obviously biden's not going to do that nor is fed chairman powell going to do anything like that um they're trying to use interest rates and jack up interest rates which harms people that need to use credit to to live to buy new products and and so it's really not the right mechanism to control prices and to control inflation i mean the fed has two mandates right which is to uh, control inflation and and uh, and wages, I believe, is the other mandate. Is that right? There's yeah. two mandates. I know one's inflation. Um, I'm curious. So, here, like,
0: did Peter mention anything? Did he mention anything about modern monetary theory? Anything about MMT?
4: No, he doesn't believe in okay. that. He's a gold bug. He's like he wants to base the dollar on on gold. Like, have it, have one dollar worth a certain amount of troy ounces of gold, or point decimal amount of troy ounces of gold. It's, it's stupid. It's a fiat currency, and it works. You know, he thinks because the Fed increased the uh, the supply of dollars in the last couple of years, which they've done basically in a drastic uh, amount since 2008, they've been increasing the amount of dollars in circulation. Uh, we haven't had inflation until the last couple of years, last year or so. So it has nothing to do with the supply of dollars. But anyway, I'm kind of droning on, and you know, this stuff's really interesting to me, but I think that uh, what really needs to happen is closer to what Richard Wolf said and not what Peter Schiff said, which is to implement price freezes. And also, you know what, we need to talk about stimulus checks again. I filled up my tank, my gas tank yesterday. It's ninety-two dollars. That's not sustainable. Especially if gas keeps going up. Like I need to drive to get to work. I need to drive to to live. And a ninety-two dollar gas tank once a week for me, which is what I I need to fill my gas at least my tank at least once a week. It's not sustainable. And you know what we should really be talking about is, is two things: more stimulus checks, maybe monthly until we can get this inflation under control and get prices stabilized, and uh, and, and stimulus checks is, checks out to to working class people until we get there. And so, yeah,
0: I also, um, I also think they need to do a rent freeze too, because definitely. landlords are still increasing the rent.
4: Definitely. JB Jay, Jay font. JB's going through that right now, I know. Yep. And having a struggle with that and I feel for him. we all uh we all have that struggle and it, it sucks. So um it's tough, but obviously we don't have a government right now that's at all interested in doing anything like that. So that's a good point. Anyway. It's too bad. We're uh we're kinda we're all kind of fucked right now. I don't know if I can curse on your show. I apologize. Oh, oh you can. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I told myself I
0: was going to watch the profanity tonight, and then I ended up cussing anyway, so. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's hard. It's so, because the frustration is so strong, right? And so you just feel like these strong words just come out because it's so frustrating and so angry that nobody's, doing anything to to help people to help working class americans that are just trying to get by and so it it just ends up at least personally i speak for myself i guess just makes me so angry and frustrated that i end up cursing and feeling very frustrated and venting through through uh not the best vocabulary
0: (laughs) oh no worries thank you so much for calling in
4: Thank you, Savvy. Have a good
0: night. You too. All right, Lance, you're on the mic. Just got to hit unmute. Yeah. Hello.
5: Hello. You can hear me? I can hear you. Oh, because my little blue circle isn't flashing. (laughs) Yeah, rent control. When I lived in New York City, this is like late 80s, early 90s. We got a place, not bad for not being living there. Six twenty a month, and in our building was a guy paid like 65 dollars a month. He lived there since the 60s, and he'd said that a guy that lived there from World War, just after World War Two, paid thirty-seven dollars a month in the in the late 80s in New York City. Cause it was rent control.
0: rent control. We haven't had rent control in Boston since the nineties. I've been told. Yeah.
5: Well, what's interesting is that right when I lived there, the gentrification was going crazy. It was still the case where we almost got a sublet loft in Soho for 600 a, a month or 600 for the summer, 600 a month, you know, with, even for a sublet was rare then, but it was doable. Ah, uh, but they were really going with the gentrification and they had a clever way they closed firehouses it means it take 2 or 3 minutes longer to get to a place they could they could gut it it'll be gutted and so that you know firewise and then they can you know oh, they did all kinds of things started with Dinkins and then of course with Giuliani forget about it that's when they took you know Times Square which was wonderful when it was triple x theaters and fake gucci stuff and all the tourist traps <laughs> then they turned it into Disneyland and ruined it yeah
0: but, um i think I I think that too, like, you know, JB was mentioning like his rent. He just got the notice that his rent is increasing by like $500. Like, I really think this is a part where Joe Biden's kind of leaving this up to the states to handle these types of situations. And I think given the current situation that we're in, in reference to inflation, I really think this is where he needs to step in as the president and he needs to order that these governors of these states, listen, no rent increases during this for the the rest of the year, no rent increases at all. Because you can't afford, like if you can't afford to pay that extra $500, now you have to go look for another apartment. And based on what JB was telling me, all the other apartments that are affordable, they're either at that new rate that's being offered or excuse me, that's being demanded to them or they're hired. So you can't really move anywhere because you're also going to have to pay like security deposit, but you can't afford to pay the rent increase. So what do you do?
5: Yeah. Two things. Well, you know, even on silly sitcoms from the 50, 60s, whatever, people used to go on rent strikes. Now, you know, it's harder now, but, how many marshals do they have to to evict people that say, "Okay, we're on mass, hundreds of us from all kinds of all in one building, all said, "No, we're not going to pay the rent increase, and we're not leaving." And we're not only that, we're not going to pay the rent we owe you every month in the first place. Forget the increase until you fix it." You know? That stuff happens. Want to know something? There was a lady on Fox, she was a socialist. Did you see that when she was a socialist talking about taking over all the homes?
0: No, I didn't see that.
5: Oh, you gotta watch it. Uh, I wrote down her name. She's running for Congress as a Democratic socialist, but, uh, from, um, 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 um shucks. Uh, you gotta look at it. You gotta find, I'll, I'll, I'll I will i will do not have her name right in front of me. But anyway, she's talking about 40,000 homeless, 120,000 kids homeless. Why not just take over the houses that are owned by corporations? Don't have to be a land, little landlord who owns a couple houses that he's trying to rent out, but the ones that are owned by corporations and private equity, you know, take them over. I, I squatted for 10 months. <laughs> All right. And I've never been homeless in my life, but, and I wasn't homeless then, but I said, how am I going to get ahead with the $50 a week on the couch at a, at a friend of mine? who were like, they did crack and all this stuff. They were harmless. You know, they weren't going to hurt me. I didn't leave anything valuable around. The only thing I got was a chart, whatever. They are old, old friends. And my other old friend who wasn't a cracker, he lived in a trailer in the, in the front. So I was down there. Okay. But so, you know, 50 bucks a week, scratching on a couch. I'm like, I'm never going to have my own apartment again with the, you know, not too long after 2008. So a friend of mine, we joked about a house next door to a mutual friend of ours. Yeah, the house next door is empty. Ha ha, you should squat. We were laughing. He says, yeah, all you got to do is jam the electric together. About a month later, he said, Hey, guess what? I jammed the electric together. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not Mr. Radical that. Well, I guess I am a little bit, but I'm, I'm kind of middle class guy. I'm not shy about this stuff, but I'm like, yeah, but what about the guy who owns it? Doesn't he have families? No, he abandoned. It. He was a private eye and he got involved like a lot of them do. You know, you do a lot of drug stuff or custody cases, whatever. He got involved with crack dealers, wound up owning money. He had to flee back to Oklahoma he left the home back he left everything and he had no family here so it was a totally vacant house no no claims on it nobody was going to so i lived there for 10 months with free free utilities you know well, i
0: know some people tried to do that during the 08 housing crisis and eventually got to the point where the police came and pulled them out
5: no in this case it was on the fringe of that it was like 2010 12 but what happened was i left the lights on all night and there was a power outage but i had my lights on and the and the people that the Nimo people said wait a minute this house is supposed to be vacant and the lights are on and that's how they they so they turned it off so I said, okay, I, that was my time to leave, but I had already accumulated enough money because I was only making like a hundred bucks a week at one point. So I was paying 50 bucks for red because it was terrible. And it was just part time, you know, at this place. And then it was working a little more, a little more, but you know, I didn't have to go to a soup kitchen, but I, you know, I just ate really frugally, the dollar murder and whatever else. And I accumulated several hundred, you know, enough couple, you know, like a thousand or more dollars over 10 months. I didn't have any expenses for red, blah, blah, blah. Got an apartment and got back on my feet. But I had to go there, you know, for a while. And so uh, why not squat? There's squatters' rights, Bill. There's squatters' rights. If you don't break in and it's an abandoned house and it's not lived in for a certain length of time and you don't actually – if you board it up good and you have it solidly locked, no. But if you can get in like a window's already broken or you don't have to break anything to get in, it's not breaking and entering, there's squatters' rights. And the cops know it. Look look it up on Google. You'll find some really interesting things that sometimes – Whereas the cops are like, yeah, we don't really have a legal way to get somebody out. It happens.
0: That's really interesting. I didn't know about that. You know who else? Um, I haven't had him on in a while. I need to reach back out to him. Who would be good to to talk to about this is Shahid Buttar, because he was very much involved with the housing situation that goes on in San Francisco. Um, He's the one that's running against Nancy Pelosi. He ran against her before as well. But he was telling me when he came on last year that in San Francisco, they actually have more houses than than what's needed. So he said there's a lot of vacant houses that no one's living in, but their homeless population is huge. And yeah. he was talking about that, like all of those people that are homeless, he said, could be housed because of all the unused housing that's in San Francisco.
5: Yeah. That's one of the things that I'm gonna try. You know, I've got my take care of my uncle. He's got dementia. I can't really be away from the house a lot. But the squatter thing is something I'm gonna look into. You know, I don't know if I have a pro bono lawyer around, but that's something that I think I want to try to get going in this town I live in. You know, but um, you know, but if I could could you know there's not a lot of callers, so could I just switch to something that we were talking about before that you were? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, so uh this whole um you know, this whole like so the St. Valentine's Massacre, if we're gonna talk about the gun thing. This is why it's so sick what's going on now. The St. Valentine's Massacre was when they use those, you know, those Tommy guns, right? It was one gang gangsters, like not just a gang of like poor lost old kids. These were professional, murder incorporated, you know, professional. Al Capone killed off Judge Schultz's gang. So one ga- one really violent, vicious you know, law-breaking gang kills another gang, and that was enough to say we're never going, and they've never been sold again. You can't get a, a rapid-fire machine gun even now, right? For his rapid-fire stuff. Okay, so we outlawed that stuff when when you had violent criminal gangs killing each other, and we still stopped the guns. Let alone kids getting shot in a school. You see my point? Yeah. No, that's that's I mean,
0: that's a good point. I mean, it's it's. You know, I, I think it comes- and this is the-
5: Freewheeling twenties and thirties, when it was like, you know, oh, we're we're in a wild time. Come on, guys. In other words, it wasn't like the button-down fifties or some quiet time in our path. It was already a wild time, all right? and it was still considered nuts that we were that we were going to allow this. And we stopped it. I didn't mean to interrupt you.
0: Oh no, worries. Um, it's interesting what people were able to stop back then, but we can't stop it today.
5: Well, again, like, uh, to, to finish, if I could continue the point in the 60s and 70s, the riots, the riots in the streets were different than Black Lives Matter. These were people that were going out, you know, and, and doing a lot of violence. Okay. They didn't have a lot of guns then. There wasn't many there, but they were doing a lot of violence, right? And it wasn't for any particular cause. And then you had people getting mowed down. 11 people killed here, 11 people killed there. But these were lawless, poor people in inner cities. Okay. This was not, you know, like respectable Black Lives Matter, all races and colors and, 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 and economics. So the lowest of the low who are already put down, who are still in the, you know, throes of Jim Crow still a little bit, because even though some of the laws were passed, it, it wasn't getting that, okay? So when that all happened, we fixed stuff. We said, we have to understand. Even my parents who were, you know, they were liberal, but they were like center left, Humphrey liberals type, okay? They, were, they wouldn't have voted for McCarthy probably, Eugene McCarthy. Oh, forget the other McCarthy, right? You know, and, and, and everybody like that said, yeah, we got to fix the underlying problem. You know, that would never, imagine if that happened now, like it did with Black Lives Matter. But if it was real violent, just really, you know, people that are violent and did violence, they would say, oh, no, we got to mow them down. We got more cops, more cops. We didn't do that then. And it was much, 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 much more violent, folks. I'm old. I remember. 1968. Go look up at the homicide statistics. You know, it was like thousands and thousands and thousands more than it is now, even with the mass shooting. It was a nutsy time, man. I'm telling you, living through it. Wait, so you're, it, on saying TV. it was,
0: you're saying it was more violent back then?
5: Way more, way more. The, 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 look, the crime rate savvy in the pandemic went up but the crime rate's been going like either nose diving and then leveling off and then going down again and down again and down again for decades the number of kids that were kidnapped in the 60s and 50s is way more than in the 80s and 90s that we have amber alert the number of kids getting snatched what it was a cry that's why we have amber alerts and stuff because it was a problem it was happening you know? And we had to learn our lessons about how not to talk to strangers and all that. That wasn't just like standard. It was kind of a you know, mini crisis. It was there. So, yeah, child abductions, violent crime, homicide, all this stuff. Now, some of the violent homicide stuff might have – but, no, it's all way, way, way down. And we have ten times as many cops and, like, a third of much of as much crime. So this whole thing about criminalizing society, it's not just kind of sort of it happened. It's a plot. It's a plan. Here, let me give you, like again, so one time I was actually, I had dosed. I had just taken some acid, and it was the middle of the afternoon in my crazy party days in my 20s, and I'm sitting down in this, like, college beer and wine joint, and it was the middle of the day, and my senses were just starting to get sharp, and I'm listening for the first time, you know, because usually I'm there in a the crowded time at night. And my senses were peaked, but I didn't have. All right, so all these video games, it was the new era, and this is in the 80s, but it was like the new era video games. And they're all beeping and telling you, come play us. And it was, I just noticed it was Missile Command and Rocket Lion. And it was like the, the violent games. And I didn't pay any attention. It was just like the thing, right? So I'm watching. Oh, yeah, ha, ha. I never noticed this before. Listen to these games and all these video games. I kid you not, on the speaker, it was a, you know, they had the classic radio station on. Here comes the news. Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I just spent an afternoon. This is unbelievable when you're tripping and everything falls into place like in a weird way. So he says, "Yeah, I we'll was just at the Strategic Air Command, and those, uh, those, those colonels, the, the, the officers that are training the new pilots, uh, it's just like the video games." He said this. He said the kids today, now when they enter this Air Force, they're going to be really well tra- pre-trained. Whatever his wording was. Because these video games are just like the simulators for how we teach pilots how to do, you know, how to fight uh, in fighter planes. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear you. So this idea that, like, these video games, oh, it's just what's popular. No, they want it to be violent games. Also, we know when kids shoot people. Because their brains aren't developed yet before they have a lawyer and mom next to them. Oh, my God, it felt like a video game. So it's not even the case always that there's a direct connection in every case between violent video games okay, and, and killings. But when you have a gun or you're near guns and you're a kid and you're not a crazy trying to deliberately kill 50 people, but you're in some spat and you shoot because you're, 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 your physical self is like, you're used to playing video games. So it's not the violence part. It's just the reaction time. It's like, oh my God, I just reacted. It was like a video game. I just pulled the trigger. And that's what these kids are saying over and over and over again. And so this idea that the video game, oh, come on now. It's just, a, it's just a release, you know? It's not because it's not like you're going like, you know, how, how uh, Marshall McLuhan, Savvy, I know I'm getting off that this is all connected. He says the medium is the message. And he talked about cool. hot mediums so if you're reading a book you have to put in your own imagination you're not going to read a book about violence go out and do violence but but when you're wiring your brain directly this is what he said when you're filling in all of it like with tv it's not like radio you have to fill in the picture but when it's tv or it's going into your brain and it's all there and you're just a passive you don't have to fill in any blanks and it's all just you're just consuming it as a passive like robotron or whatever and that's what's happening with this so your your brain is literally being wired from 10 years old to when you're in your 20s. your brain is being hardwired to just think that way so the violence itself is wrong the reaction time the whole inhumanity of it it's not a mistake they're doing it on purpose and it's not not affecting our kids any more than social media oh yeah sure you can play these violent video games and be immersed in that world from one violent one to another, it's not going to affect you at all. Just like social media doesn't affect you if you're on it for 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, right? Well, we know that's not true. So why would one have such an effect on your social media, which is in some ways a lot more passive where you have to punch stuff, versus these video games that are just feeding you this stuff that they've mm-hmm. developed and designed? Come on. Come on. It's, it's making us nuts, these video games. I'm sorry. And I'm not a prude, but it's – and all in the back in the day, see, the, the pinball games and all the arcade games, it was about being in a casino. Back in the day, bowling alleys had these back rooms for men to play poker and bet on on pool, you know, or whatever. And then you had the bar area. And so even though you're in a bowling alley, they're not going to serve you alcohol, but it was all this activity. And that's what video games were about or being at a car – car cha, uh, you know, drag race, drag strip. You know, that it was about movies. All of a sudden, all that's gone. All this rebelliousness is gone. All this idea of freedom and freedom of thought. We got rid of all the humanities department, the liberal arts in college. That didn't just happen. They said, let's get rid of this so we don't teach them how to think. We will continue to teach them what to think and we'll take money from the Koch brothers and we'll take money from corporations in the Pentagon so that we can, and the Pentagon, by the way, Speaking to them, they're doing stuff in Hollywood that had nothing to do with military, not just about making them look good. It's about, no, we don't want to have like, uh, you know, independent, like, you know, people with the buck authority, you know. So they're getting way beyond military in terms of how they're running Hollywood, you know. And so all this stuff is a plan. And it's like the frog in the water. Whether you go back to Popeye, he's not just he was a drunken guy getting into fights with his, with his pappy. Not, then he became like leading the fleet, uh, the seventh fleet in war in the 60s. So I mean, these things develop in a way where it goes from freewheeling, independent minds. We've squelched it in so many levels, and it ain't just happening because of corporate. You know, it's happening because of corporate because they don't want you to have a soul or a heart or any kind of empathy. Empathy is being like like deliberately erased in corporations from the top down. No, you can't be empathetic to that guy. You got to fire him. You know, it's like no, there's no more empathy in cotton. You know, and that's the way it is. You know what I mean? So. That's just yeah, where we are. Thank you
0: so, you know? Well, thank you so much for that, Lance. That was really interesting. I'm going to go ahead to uh, the next caller. Thanks so much for calling in.
5: Can I ask you one question? And then I'll, I'll get back in the queue. You know, obviously, you know, even if I'm the only caller, you got to move on. But one quick question to think about. Should we be concerned, as much as like I'm, I put 90% of my wrath to the left, Should we be concerned? Because I've mentioned this before, but like you got Jackson Hinkle now doing a whole like 20 minute segment of how wonderful Tucker Carlson is and Glenn Greenwald and all these people. This is not just like, well, oh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to get back. Jack, go look up Jackson Hinkle's today thing. He's got a 20 minute thing about how Tucker Carlson's setting everybody straight, boy, about just obvious stuff about like Ukraine or something. It's not like he's got some unusual take. There's a big embrace going on with this left right thing. Uh, and it's sad. It's scary. Oh it's beyond the breaking points thing where either like Sager is a reasonable righty. Tucker Carlson is being heavily embraced by the far left and it's sick. And I don't know why, but it's happening.
0: Well, I have my opinions about Sager being so, so-called reasonable righty. I think Sauger, his uh, foreign policy has not been good. Um, and I think some of the rhetoric that's been coming from over breaking points has very much of a right wing point. So, um, but I want to go to the next caller, but thanks so
1: much for calling in, Lance. All right. Who do we have next on the call? Ashura, you're on the mic. You just got to unmute.
6: Hey, Sabi, what's up?
1: Oh, my
0: God. I finally get to hear your voice.
6: (laughs) I know. You always want to hear everyone's voice. (laughs) Yeah, uh I would say one bit for the last call that you had, I don't know about um, him saying that basically they're embracing the right. I'm pretty sure, like, uh I watch Tucker Carlson, too, but I just watch him for the segments that I know that I want to listen to. But the rest of it is just bullshit. And I think uh just like with Jimmy, Jimmy only basically praises Tucker only for the war aspect. He, he said openly that Tucker has some odious views that they disagree on. Um, that's the only thing I can say about that But the, the only thing, uh, the one thing I wanted to talk about is that, um, Jimmy, I, how do you, uh, what do you think about if, uh, do you want, do you want to talk about nuances? Like basically when it comes to economics on the right and the left, do you want to have somebody on both sides coming on your show when it comes to economics? I'll talk to anyone. However,
0: just because you come on doesn't mean I'm going to agree with you that's the thing and like some people they only want to go into shows where they know they're not going to be challenged they only want to yeah. talk to people that they're going to agree with
6: yeah because I, I was i was uh one time on the mindset of the tyt p- p- uh, portion where i just didn't give a shit about right wingers and it was jimmy that basically changed me a bit about about right wingers I, I disagree with them i know there are some corny little racists amongst them but i I tried to keep an open mind and not say like all oh, right wingers are fucking bad I'll just paint them with a fucking brush and I've talked with some right wingers on Jimmy's channel that basically are pleasant you can have a disagreement with them and uh Jimmy had this uh academic on his show I forgot what his name was like you'll probably have the video on tomorrow and uh he's a he's a right winger he's an uh, an economist and uh and I was thinking like if you go study economy. Like, it's supposed to be unbiased, right? And it only depends, like, once you go out the door, you depend if you're going to go on a liberal channel or a right-wing channel. You just twist the economics that you learn from the from the college or university. And this guy basically was talking, and he, Jimmy brought him on the, on his show because um, his subs were asking him to bring him on the show. And at the end of the day, Jimmy kind of regretted it. Oh, you think oh, so? But, this
0: is Peter Ship, Because someone mentioned him
6: earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Jimmy okay. was like, Gene was like, oh, my God, man, I, I wish I should have never brought him on our show. He's not coming back again. Because he was saying some dumb shit. I was like, at some point, I agree with him. Then at the end of the day, I realized this guy was only right about the crash coming in. That's it. But his economics is just trash. He was talking about stock options to basically stock on food. I'm like, if you, the only people that could stock on food are the rich. Who's got the money to stock on food? Mm. Then he talks about like uh, stuff about oh give money to the poor the rich, you don't need to increase wages. I'm like, what the fuck is this dude saying? Like the, the entire chat was like screaming, get him off. Get well, he's off. a libertarian,
0: right? Yeah, he's a libertarian. Okay. This is yeah, why I don't libertarians, trust him. Libertarians they think a little bit different. Like, they don't really feel if correct me if I'm wrong, but I from what I've read about libertarians, they don't really feel that the government should be involved at all. Yeah.
6: But it's it's kind of stupid, especially when they use that big government, small government. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, big government, small government? There's no such thing as big government, small government. It depends who's running the shit. If it's a conservative government that's running the city or it's a, a conservative government running the the, well, the overall federal government. So it doesn't really matter why you got to use these small words. It's just stupid.
0: Well, also, too, sometimes don't people don't use them in the right way because if you say you don't like big government, then why are you supporting this, the police state?
6: Yeah.
1: But then, what then, I mean? then when it
0: happens,
6: yeah, especially when there's like a fucking hurricane or something comes crashing on the town, then they need big
0: government's help. <laughs> I thought you didn't want big government help. Oh my God. I'll I have to check it out. Hopefully the clip comes out tomorrow. So yeah. See, I, you're, you're, you're probably going to rip, rip, your, rip your hair out of your
6: head by re, just hearing this guy. Because it's all about stock. I'm like, nobody has money for stock. And somebody said, like, Mm -hmm. I was going back and forth because I wouldn't know if this guy was done talking. And somebody in the chat said Jimmy regretted having him on.
0: Well, it seemed like to me he's talking to people who have money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't mind having a difference of opinion, like a
6: bright side economics. But if you are gonna bring someone like that on your show, you might have uh, Richard Wolf. Just on the side to make it a Richard Wolf versus this guy debate. Yeah, well, wasn't Richard Wolf just on there? No, he was there like maybe last. No, it wasn't like this week. I don't. I don't remember which day either. um, Tuesday or Wednesday he was there. But if he's coming on, he's gonna have a a conservative economic guy on the show. Bring Richard Wolf because Jimmy basically was being too nice because he had that position where he has both his hands together, and that's like this is nice, Jimmy. I like to call it the nice Jimmy pose. He's not gonna he's not gonna fight back, he's gonna be very nice. And this guy basically walked away. He's gonna say, Well, I've been on lefty shows and basically everyone was on Jimmy Door." Now Jimmy Door, has this guy's gonna basically walk around and says I was on the Jimmy Door show.
0: Hmm. Well, you're not always gonna like this is the thing, like people you're not always gonna have a guest one that people agree with. That is that is one thing, like at least he's letting people hear different voices. Because I will tell you, there's certain people I brought on, and the chat was not feeling it. And <laughs> people were like, "Do not bring them back." And I'm like, "You guys got to hear different voices." <laughs> I don't
6: mind. I don't mind having him on. It's just like Jimmy. You can step on Jimmy's face. Jimmy's not liking the answers he's getting. And at one last dig, Jimmy, me Jimmy, just just toss him a little bit of meat and see if he's gonna bite to it. He bite on it. And he was like, Jimmy said, well, what if you have a restaurant, right? And you have you used to have 200 workers and I have 100 and the, red, the other 100 are not coming back. And uh, what do you do? And basically, I remember Rachel Wolf said, well, you increase the price of your uh, of your uh, of your uh, your stock. Or like you're, the food you're selling, what you're selling, you increase the numbers and then that would probably give you the incentive to have, then you increase the wages of the other people, that the future uh, workers coming in. So that would probably give the incentive for people to be high, coming to work for you. So um, Jimmy tried to give him that analogy and he didn't bite.
0: He was yeah. still on that stock market. Oh my God. Well, sure. Thanks so much for calling in. I'm going to go to the next caller. That's interesting. I can't wait for that clip to come out.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: All righty. Tim, you're next on the mic. Just have to hit unmute.
7: Hello. Can you hear me? I can. Hi. Uh, nice to meet you, Savvy. Um I just wanted to say thank you for um, your piece you did about breaking points and their whole group of Cohorts, I guess you would say. Um, <laughs> uh, that was uh, very um, eye opening for me. I have been a fan of a lot of all those places. I'm still on the fence about Jordan Sheridan at Status Quo. Um, he's, I kind of get the feeling from him that he's kind of like trying to stay on the fence. Trying to play both sides, trying to have a foot in both worlds, type of thing. And I don't, I don't know. I'm just getting a bad feeling about it. Just the same way I got with TYT when I was a fan of theirs, and then when they started pushing the whole Trump thing 24-7 and not talking about issues. So I'm like, okay, I can't can't fuck with them no more. <laughs> followed followed Jimmy Dore <laughs> with oppressive aggressive progressives over to his show um at the Jimmy Dore show and then then I found um Fred Hampton left us when that's what y'all was before and then I found you and <laughs> it's just been a journey and um I just wanted to say thank you for for being a presence that that clearly made the point of what I was feeling and didn't know how to say that it, it wasn't it's not about the left right and all this other bullshit it's about class like they have solidarity at the top no matter what their race is they, they have their solidarity and they make sure that they keep their bag and we need to realize as the population that they, they, ain't, they ain't worried about us having our bag. So we got to make sure we got to secure it and we got to come together no matter what your cultural things are. Economically, they're screwing us all over and we need to realize that. And I just wanted to say thank you for, you are the person that I think most put it succinctly in a clear way that can make it be understood by people. And I appreciate that.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Tim. Yes. Like, there's definitely a class divide and, you know, I, I listen to a lot of those people. Some of them got me into, I would say, the left, you know, and mm-hmm. I've seen how some of the views have changed over the years. I've seen how the talking mm-hmm. books have changed. I've noticed people tend to have on some nicer suits and new teeth, things like mm-hmm. that. And so, and that's not to say that you're not allowed to become successful, but I noticed that as their money increased, their talking points started to change. And so right. that's where the problem came in for me. I'm just like, no, dude, like, if you say you're for the working class people and you care about the working class, don't just say it, be it. You right. know, don't just don't just talk about it, be about it. Like, and so when we have these actions that happen throughout the country, when we had the Medicare for All Marches, breaking points didn't even mention it. We could have had way more people mm-hmm. at those marches if they would at least like mention it. They didn't want to mention it. They knew about it. All of those networks right. were contacted about this event. That's why uh, Secular Talk mentioned it. They all were contacted. So they all knew about it. And mm-hmm. it just seems like as someone in this space, something I didn't notice when I wasn't in this space is that a lot of times they have the same talking points. So it's like they have this circle of friends and mm-hmm. it has to be approved by the circle in order for all of them to be for it. And that even comes with direct action events. So it's like right. if 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 one of them thinks it's a good idea and the rest don't, that one is not gonna talk about it. And that's unfortunate, but it's very clear right. and it's very classist. And that's right. why You don't see people like us on their shows. That's why you don't see us on them on our shows. And, you know, I will give props where props is due with Jordan, because he is the Mm -hmm. only one that seems to be willing, like out of that group, that seems to be willing to have discussions with people that he may not agree with. So he did have JB on the other day. Right. Yeah,
7: yeah, I saw that interview.
0: Yeah, they ended up realizing they agree more than they disagree. But we're never going to know that if we don't have these conversations, because otherwise they're just taking place on Twitter. And quite frankly, I'm tired of seeing the back and forth of people fighting with each other on Twitter. That's why for me, I'll be the bigger person and invite you to come on. I invited David Sroder to come on before all this even started <laughs> to have the discussion about strategy. I was very polite in the email. He opened the email. So I use email campaigns, so it alerts me when you open it. And right. he didn't want to do that. He decided to go back to Twitter and start bitching at us. So uh-huh. I said, since you want to be that way, you could have had this discussion with me in person. I'm still going to have the discussion just without you. But there right?
7: And, and that's, that's what they're afraid of though. It- they're afraid to have that conversation. I think it's the same, um, uh, um, the other host, um, Nick, Nick said about how they they don't want to have the conversation with a person of color because they can't just dismiss it as so easily as they could if they were talking to a white person. And, and I think that right there is why they shy away from having these conversations, especially with, with the revolutionary blackout. Like, I I think that's why it is. That's why he avoided you is because he knows that number one, you're not a pushover. You're not just going to go, Oh, okay. I'm going to be nice and, or whatever. You're going to actually not say you're going to be uncouth or anything, but you're going to push back when, when you're hearing some bullshit or, you know, things like that. And they don't want that, you know, And, and they're afraid to, to have that conversation. And that's why I said I'm so on the fence with Jordan about this because he is willing to have these conversations. And there are so many other, you know, things that he's covered, which I think he's done great on, like, you know, the Flint water things and, um, you know, the, the, uh, when Donna Brazil when he exposed that whole thing, like he's done a lot of good and he does a lot of good. He travels. He's like, he, I, I, I'm a subscriber to his network I've been since he left TYT. And it's, it's like I, I support him because he goes out and does all these things around the country and, and he's one of the few voices that does. And I'm grateful for that and that's why I still contribute. But when he starts to like punch left, I should say, when he starts to go after Jimmy Dore because Jimmy Dore put down the Democrats, and I'm like yeah he did it about about um the Ronda when when Jimmy covered Ron DeSantis being more left less less authoritarian than the the Democrats right now. and it was weird that that's how that, that 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 is a fact you know I mean, yes, DeSantis is trying to pass his authoritarian law, but he's just trying to do it only in his state where the Democrats are trying to pass it for the whole country. So, I I mean, I get, you know, I get what Jordan is trying to say, like, you know, he, but but Jimmy didn't say the answer to everything here is Ron DeSantis and you should go vote for him. That's not what Jimmy said. All Jimmy was doing was pointing out that, hey, look, even this wacko right-winger is to the left of your party. Wake up. And the way Jordan tried to deliver it as if Jimmy was like, Simping for the the Republicans is just it was I felt it was dishonest. And I'm like, why was he doing this? And then this whole breaking points thing dropped like a week later. And I was like, oh, is this what's happening? Is this how he is how he got his foot in the door? You got to go out there and, you know, slime one of the lefties before you can get on the show. Like, I don't know what, what it was about. So that's where I'm like, eh, if you with him still.
0: Well, one thing I do want to say, uh, since we have a, a pretty besides crowd listening, not everything, I don't agree with Jimmy Dore on everything, but not everything that goes wrong on the left is Mm -hmm. Jimmy Dore's fault. Correct. It's kind of old, like hearing people blame him for everything. They can't go Mm -hmm. one episode without saying, like, Jimmy Dore's fault, and and, and because of Jimmy Dore, and I'm like, if you think that the reason that the, the left is divided is because of one podcaster, I think that you are sadly mistaken. The left is divided, Because we have a class divide and we Mm entered the pandemic. We had a class divide before then, but we had someone running on that issue. We had Bernie Sanders running on that issue. Bernie suspended his campaign. We entered the pandemic. People became unemployed. People lost their jobs. People were evicted. There was nobody Mm -hmm. still trying to run this movement. And so the divide that you see are the haves and the have-nots. The people who have and had before Bernie's campaign, and still have after Bernie's campaign and after the pandemic, those people are typically the ones telling you that how dare you criticize the squad? How mm-hmm. dare you. They're
7: doing their best.
0: <laughs> exactly. How dare you. <laughs> how dare you <laughs> tell people not to vote for them? Those who were the have nots before, during the pandemic, afterwards, all this stuff, those people. Mm-hmm their situation became significantly worse. So my whole thing is, is that the division is about class. And it's it's not just with people who voted for Bernie Sanders and supported him. It's also in left independent media. And Mm -hmm. Jamie talked about this last night on on Jordan's show. And it is. And you look around Mm -hmm. and you see, and I know I got way off topic, but... If you look no, at you the... see who goes on to who shows, there's a class uh-huh. right? The yeah. exception for the most part is Jimmy Dore. He's the only one with that large of a platform that has no problem going mm. on to smaller channels. You have right. people who they have so much ego and they're wealthy and they uh-huh. think it's to beat them. To go and talk to some of these smaller shows, those of us who don't have studios, which I don't need a studio, they don't need a studio either. You can do this. Right. Right. (laughs) That's that's a big part of the problem. It's a class divide, and they don't wanna they don't wanna address that. They don't wanna talk about it. They don't Mm -hmm. wanna address it. Even some of the ones that are well intentioned and they really mean well, they don't really know how to address it either, because they're part of that upper class. Right. So they they want to make sure they're
7: secure before they you know say like yeah go behead the rich people and then it's like oh wait a second I'm one of them so it's you know okay, I understand it's human like and they're in their own bubbles like I, I get it I mean if, if I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth I would know what it, what it was like to not have food in the fridge and to try to figure out what I'm gonna do next week like you get what I'm saying like I, I, I I guess I wouldn't care about that kind of shit because it just wouldn't be in my, you know, purview to, to, to even care about. It's not something that would be,
0: you know. Right. It's like, like I, I said this before, okay? If this whole thing doesn't work out, right? Like putting progressives through the Democratic Party, say it's like two, three years later and people are like, look, we're not doing this anymore. Those people will be fine. The people who are Mm -hmm. millionaires that are doing this, they're going to be fine. They'll just move on to something else. They can start interviewing celebrities if they want to. They don't have to stick with this. You see what I'm saying? Right. Mm -hmm. But for those of us who supported these candidates and canvassed for them, donated a lot of money to them, those of us who were counting on them to bring about some kind of change so that Mm -hmm. we won't have to continue to struggle so that everybody could have health care in this country, guess where we'll be? We'll still be stuck
7: yeah and that's and that's the thing that gets that scares me too about what's coming next like we, we it was we were sold the political revolution and bernie killed it after he wiled this whole country up and had us ready for change and then he killed that and it's i'm i'm scared now the next thing that's going to rise is a violent revolution because yep the way our country's going now. We have you know, we just sent forty billion dollars over to some Nazis in the Ukraine instead of taking care of you know, I live here in Portland, Oregon, and I go on the train to work and I literally on the train I'm passing hundreds of tents along the way. Hundreds. And I'm and I'm not I'm not exaggerating saying that number. You know, and it's, and it's, it's crazy. And the number of, of homeless people sleeping on the train because there's, you know, it's raining outside and they have nowhere to lay down and they can't even lay on the fucking bench because they put these little things on the bench. So they can't lay across them. So it's like, it's so to the point where we're being dehumanized where it's, they're turning us to like a pack of wild animals. And then the wild animal is going to, you know, you, you back a cat into the corner. At a point, the cat's going to claw your ass, and it's at the point now where they're they're backing us into this corner, and you know, and and they just they keep swiping at us and pushing us back, and they just did it with 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 Medicare, what what Biden is doing with that right now, like trying to increasing it, it's like it's like what the f-? In, increasing the, the premiums, not the actual. <laughs> and giving more money to the private insurers with it? It's like, you know, it's, it's like, what are we supposed to do now? Like, you, you keep punching us, and you keep punching us, and you keep punching us, and it's getting to the point now where I kind of feel like maybe I should buy a gun. Because are we gonna be in the time where it's like, where we it's gonna be an Orwellian, you know, the future, like something like from Octavia Butler, the you know, parable of the talons or something like a parable of the sower future. Like I, i, I you know, I, I, it scares me to, to think that that's gonna be you know something that happens, and ah, uh, like I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, I totally feel you, man. I totally understand where you're coming from, and I just realized that this whole time I thought I was using my external mic and I wasn't. <laughs> oh well. Oh goodness. Uh, that's that's okay. Uh, but thanks so much for calling in. I'm gonna go to the next caller, which is Rena. Going over to Rena Land. All right, Rena. I just made you the next caller. Just gotta unmute. Hi, Savvy. How are you tonight? I'm um, doing great.
8: Tim did a great job defending Jimmy Dore, so I'm gonna try and do a similar job defending Glenn Greenwald, who doesn't need me at all. But uh, he gets gets attacked every single day for going on the Tucker Carlson show. And I don't know how he has the stamina to respond to it, Uh, but he does. And, you know, it's very simple. Tucker's the only place he can go anymore. Fox News. He occasionally goes on Lori Ingram. He occasionally goes on Fox for on some other people's shows, like Howie, whatever his name is. He's kind of the media guy on Fox. News. But they're the only people who invite who invite uh, Glenn Greenwald on in, in terms of cable or network news. He used to go on MSNBC all the time. He used to go on CNN all the time. They won't even have him on Democracy Now anymore. Did you know that? How is that for bizarre? When his when his that newest
0: surprise. Me. When D- his democracy newest,
8: now. Has fallen off a cliff. Uh, yes, it definitely has. I I don't think it's fallen totally off a cliff, yeah. but i i used to I used to at least read the headlines on Democracy Now. I don't even do that anymore. Uh, it's yeah. It's 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 pathetic, Glenn and and. Glenn used to be able to say that he probably appeared on democracy now more than all the other places that he, that he appeared media wise, uh, combined. And that used to be true. And then when his, when his latest book came out, the one about the situation in Brazil, uh, they told him that they were not going to invite him on, uh, to talk about his book. So, you know, what, what was up with that? Um, And all all I want to say about this is I know Glenn doesn't agree with everything, with every word that precedes out of Tucker Carlson or Laura Ingram's mouth because he doesn't agree with every word that precedes out of anybody's mouth. And none of us do. You know, I got a lot of people I like. Glenn's one of them. Jimmy Dore is one of them. Uh, You all are with RBN. But I don't agree. Yeah, nobody nobody agrees a hundred percent with with anybody else, and we shouldn't even have to say that, for God's sake. Uh, you know, it just it just wastes time in the conversation. Of course, you don't agree a hundred percent, and why you're responsible if you go on someone's show? Why you're responsible for the host's point of view? You know, if you invited me to be a guest on your show, Sabby, not, not that you'd have any reason to, but if you did, would I be responsible for everything you've ever said on your show? I don't think so. Why is, why is Glenn Greenwald responsible for everything Tucker Carlson's ever said? Glenn Greenwald is responsible for what he says when he's on Tucker Carlson's show or anybody else's show. And... Um, I don't know. I go, I go back with Glenn a long way, not, not to the very beginning of when he first started writing, which was in 2005. But I go back to 2009 because I, I looked very hard to try and find anybody who was going to be critical of Barack Obama because I was critical of Barack Obama. It didn't take me long. He fooled me into voting for him. And then I got pissed And then I started looking around for somebody who was going to be critical of Barack Obama. And lo and behold, there was Glenn Greenwald. And he applied exactly the same principles to the things Barack Obama was doing as he did when George Bush was doing the same goddamn things. So that's my kind of guy. And that's why I still follow him and watch him and read what he writes, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all I'm going to say for Glenn Greenwald and uh, uh, he and Susan Sarandon are not responsible for the fact that the Democrats suck. That's that's it. That's all I have to say. Bless your heart. And thank you very much for the time.
0: Thanks so much, Rena. Uh, Yes, that's very well said. I do think that Glenn Greenwald gets unfairly attacked. Uh, And this is not to say again, doesn't mean I agree with everything that he says. But to Rena's point, I think what's important for people to know is that there are some people in this space, journalists and commentators, they have been blacklisted from some of these other networks. So like CNN won't bring him back on. MSNBC won't bring him back on. So how are you going to get your story out if there's only that one network that's going to bring you on, which is Fox News? Are you not going to go on there to get your story out just because it's Fox News? No, that doesn't make any sense. It's the same thing that people did to Chris Smalls when he went on to Tucker Carlson's show. You know, that doesn't mean that you agree with Tucker Carlson. That's you trying to get your story out. So I think maybe instead of criticizing Glenn Greenwald for going on there, maybe they should be criticizing CNN and MSNBC for not bringing those people on. Like, that's really where the problem lies. So I do want to go ahead and grab uh, Roger. You are the next caller. You just
1: have to hit unmute.
0: Just got to hit the unmute, which is down in the right-hand corner. Okay, now we got it. Roger! Hey, what's up, Seth? How you doing? I finally get to hear your voice.
9: I had to do it since Assura called. Because you didn't hear his voice either, so I said, "You know what? If it sure can do it, then I'll do it also."
1: <laughs>
9: <laughs> oh, even though I was—I thought before he started talking, I thought this was the sister until he started talking. I said, "Oh, that's a brother," but I have to piggyback off of what he said. He—I back him up one hundred percent about what he was talking about. This dude that was on um, Jimmy Dore. Um yeah, he he was saying some crazy stuff, you know. And and now that I think about it, when he when Ashura was talking about Jimmy's body language, I was just like, yeah, he did look uncomfortable. I had to, you know, I had to blast, you know, I, I put in a whole bunch of uh, messages on 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 his chat. By the way, no disrespect, Ashura, I just you know had to say that. But um, you, want to, you want me to read what I, what I put on there, if you don't mind? <laughs>
1: Go ahead.
9: So I said, when Stephanie read, this guy is saying to stock up on necessities. Who the hell got extra money to buy all this extra shit? Income inequality has been persistent since the 80s. We can barely afford to buy them now. Invest in portfolios, really? Obviously, he don't know any poor people. People are of financial reasonable means. But he was like, invest in this, invest in that. Motherfucker, please. People are so poor, they can barely afford to pay attention. He like sorry, I am not buying this thing of if business gave paychecks that were above cost of living, they lose customers as if prices haven't been going up for the past 40 years before inflation. I drive Uber and when the demand and, and, and a uh, co-op ride, I got to throw that in there. Um, but when the, when the demand, when the demand outpaces the supply of drivers in an area, prices surge. You might be paying $30 for something you'd normally pay $5 for. Yet, they still request people. But yeah, but yet, but yet they still request. People adjust and get used to it. Also, this this was for you, because you was asking how, how we got here earlier. I said, we got here when FDR, after making the U.S. a worker-friendly economy through unions, the American Socialist and Communist Party, giving workers more leverage in, in the workplace. But what he didn't do was put a bullet in the head of corporations and give a life sentence to Wall Street to transform them into worker cooperatives and bring forth public banking they sat corporations they sat and waited and bided their time building strength over years until the 80s taking you know so the only way to that we're going to be able to do this is to take back you know using ballot initiatives and worker cooperatives I think representative democracy has failed us, and it's time to try something new, which is direct democracy um, so, well, said,
0: yeah. well said everyone has told me about this guy. I'm gonna have to watch this clip tomorrow. So many people told me about this tonight yeah i like mean, everything
9: that like. I think it was reading my mind because that's exactly what I was thinking. Where he said, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Like he, I was agreeing with him and he was, you know, he was like, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, definitely. And then he went down a, a rabbit hole like, whoa, what, what the hell is this? <laughs> I was like, who, who is this guy? I said, like, he don't talk to no, it, it sounded mad out of touch because it, it reminded me of when Jensaki said, hey, I know you're upset do some calisthenics and some kickboxing and some aerobics and get get uh, uh some wine, uh, some crap like that. And I was like, who the hell can afford wine? And who in the hell has time to exercise? They work in two or three jobs. You know what I mean? It's, it's people, these people out of touch. And, um
0: you know, so, yeah, you know, that's that's, that's pretty much. What, yeah like it sounds like he was talking to people that already have money that's, that's what it exactly like. what it
9: was he'll say yeah you need to talk to some people of the working class the struggling class the hurting class <laughs> that's, that's who, who you need to talk to. that's what this dude needs to talk to or whatever the case is um, but uh, you know uh, yesterday the uh, just let you know for some New York stuff pretty much Uh I went to the county seat today to find out what districts I'm going to fall in for state and local and congressional. You was talking about um, Nomeki running for um, Senate, right? I don't even think they told me that uh, those things won't be finalized. They said it might it could change. So they told me to come back Wednesday. Because it hasn't really, you know, because they're saying, you know, that it might change again. So you you got these Democrats running all over the place trying to figure out which one to run in. Every time I turn around, this one's dropped out because they got moved to another district. And then this one got to move into like, you don't have to be in the district that you're running in. But next term, you got to move into that district. That's, you know, that's that's how it goes. And uh
1: why?
9: Why did they do that? Who started all this? Okay, so what happened? Okay, well, first, let me give you a little bit of history. Guy, I, I got I have to give context, right? So there was always a deal in between Democrats and Republicans in New York State. Before Barack Obama, the Democrats only controlled the Senate for less than a year in 1965 or something like that. And the, and the, and the assembly was always controlled by the Democrats, like a veto proof majority. And it was like that for decades until Barack Obama. So then the, uh, what do you call it? Then the, then the Democrats took over this, took over the state Senate. And then what happened was a whole bunch of them went to prison because they did a whole bunch of corrupt shit. And then, and then, uh, so then Cuomo came in and then he did, a. uh, he did this thing with the IDC. He said, "Hey, I want you guys. I'm gonna give you all these goodies." Because Re- Democrats then had the, had the Senate, but he made eight Democrats break away from the set from the Democrats, right, and conference with the Republicans to to give Republicans the um the advantage, the you know the majority. So it was still split again. This is why the Assembly always passed the New York Health Act since 1992 because they knew that the Republicans would never take it up in the Senate, right? So in 2014, we did a constitutional amendment that said that the, um, what do you call it thing? The uh, 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 independent, it was really bipartisan, but an independent redistricting commission were to draw the lines, okay? But the, the Democrats and Republicans on that kept submitting maps that neither side Agreed with. They couldn't reconcile. So the. uh, Oh, yeah. By the way, um, Democrats took back the Senate in like 2018 and they got a veto proof majority in in 2020. Right. So. um, So then what happened was when they took the. the, Yeah, they bought. So they they bought the uh, what do you call it to. um, they, They bought it to the legislature to get approval and they kicked it back twice. And, and then after the third time, they said, ah, screw this. We'll just we'll just write them. We'll just write the district ourselves. And they gerrymandered the fuck out of the districts. I mean, like, and understand, you know, like, I know you like talk about, uh, uh, you know, Democrats like, you know, Al Sharpton, whatever saying, Oh, Republicans are gerrymandering over here in this state and that state and that state. I'm like, yeah, you should look at our home, own home state. So. The Republicans took the court, and they lost. They had a special master redraw the districts. Now the districts are like haywire; <laughs> they, they they don't make sense. Even the numbers are strange. You know, District Fifty Nine is Senate District Fifty Nine is supposed to be upstate somewhere. That's what Constance you No know, Mickey is running in, and it's in Queens, next to Senate District Eighteen and Twenty Eight. You know, makes no sense or whatever. So. You know, you've seen a whole bunch of people dropping out and people jumping in and, you know, it's, it's just pretty much crazy here. But that's pretty much how it. Oh, and and I found out, I have it on good authority that Cuomo was working behind the scenes with Republicans in helping them to to shoot these districts down. You know, just being petty because like they throw them out of there pretty much. So, you know, he just. You know, So, you know, he was trying to get back at them, you know, but, you know, I mean, I wish they would have, uh, you know, impeached them, but, um, yeah, so so that's, that's pretty much, you know, whatever. What do
0: you think about Nomiki running against another progressive now?
9: (sighs) Okay. Me and Nomiki have not spoken for like four years. Okay. I know her personally, but I she—the one that the No Mickey I knew—is not like the person that I see now. That's that's not the one that I recognize. I don't know what I don't know. She had to take a blood oath when she went on Majority Report and said, "Oh, you have to go against Jimmy Dore, or whatever the case is." But I mean, she completely changed, you know. So yeah, but I agree with you. I you know like. I think you know, uh, you know she's. I don't know. She's just suspect to me. I, I really don't. I really don't trust her anymore. You know, um, like you said, Kristen Gonzalez is the is progressive
1: in that race.
9: You know, and um, you know, I don't know what she's trying to do. She's been all over the place, but you know,
1: mm-hmm.
9: you know people you know people in life, and then people go their separate ways. You know. I guess it's no different than when you had the independent ring guy on and he said his mother, and Kristen cinema, and they kind of like have mountain kind of like went through. Days. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Thanks so much them. for calling in Roger.
9: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no gonna, doubt.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know I could talk to you forever, but I want to go ahead to the next caller too, but thanks so much. That information was very helpful. Oh, okay, cool. Glad to help. All righty, let's go on to
10: Hope oh, oh, Rocks. You're on the mic, you just have to hit unmute. I hit unmute. Can you hear me, Sad? I can. Oh, so, anyways, I, this call, I've never been on calling before. So, this is my first uh, interaction. But, how the hell am I? Was that Roger, Roger Meadows? Yep, that was Roger. <laughs> Okay, how I'm just like now I'm super nervous because I just was listening to his comments on the the door show earlier and I listened to him on Hardland's media. I listened to him on your show and I really initially called to praise you, but I'm just wondering how he doesn't have a show of his own or does he? what was that? Is Roger Roger what? How does Roger not have a a podcast or something like that of his own? He knows everything <laughs> about everywhere and everybody. I tried to
0: get Roger to come on, but Roger said he's camera shy. Well,
10: he he can do it. Just do it. Do a audio podcast. That's crazy. Because I was just thinking about that earlier, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm following Roger. <laughs> so. What I initially came to tell you um, was that um, I've been listening to so-called, quote-unquote, progressive media for uh, like 12 years. Um, I'm a total political junkie. And um, I've been uh, heartbroken by so many people i listened to and invested in, like TYT, um, other networks like that, uh, Humanist Report, all that. And every time, like I, there's somebody new. I have to be reluctant, but I have to give them the benefit of the doubt. And you have been amazing. It's been wonderful to watch you grow, and and you've earned my trust. And I, I would mention you, like like Jackson Hinkle. He's another one, young guy doing phenomenal. Um, and it just keep telling the truth. I love it.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, T Y T was actually, I think that was, yeah, that was the first one that introduced me to progressive media. They were different back then. Yeah, uh, right. I watched, I watched them change. <laughs> once, the, once they got more money, I watched them change, and um, all of these people. Like, I used to watch all of these guys, and I say guys because there weren't, there really weren't that many women back then, except for Kip Iverson had her show. Um. She was the first woman I found. And then I found uh, Nico House. And after him, through him, I found Convo Couch and all the other people with MCSE. And so it just I, I've, I've I've watched them for years. And so I've seen how some people have grown and I, I saw like how some people's rhetoric started to change after Joe Biden won in 2020 and Trump lost. And I think that was more so about their cash cow, because if you came out during that time when Bernie was running either for 2016 or for 2020, you came out during that period when Trump announced that he was first running, your show for the most part really took off because they weren't suppressing, by they, I mean, YouTube, was not suppressing independent media the way that they are now. So back then, those people who came out during that time, I know Kyle's been doing this for like over 10 years, but people who came out during that time, they really kind of, their channels really took off. And Kim Iverson was one of the ones, like she, she came on my show. She told me that she was just like, I just blew up. Like, but now like we have to work like twice as hard as they did just to even get, we had to work twice as hard just to even get to 10,000 subs because the yeah. algorithm really just pushing you out like that, like it did with them. And, yeah, a, a lot has changed and I've seen some people's talking points change and things like that. And I've also noticed, like, as they got more money, they started to become to sound less left uh, or like riding the fence. And I'm like, nah, like you guys told us to go out here and fight with Bernie Sanders for a revolution. And the moment nice. Bernie Sanders suspended his campaign in 2020, all of a sudden and Trump was gone, all of a sudden it was no, let's just go back to brunch and know. Uh, and no. and, and they, they think about the fact that there are a lot of us who canvassed for those politicians and donated to them who are just regular, everyday working class people, some poor people, uh, some of us middle class. And I, I watched people give their last ten dollars to Bernie Sanders because they believe that this is going to be the person that's going to get me health care. And I'll be able to actually go to the doctor and not have to worry about paying a fortune for medical bills. And at the same time, those people that were telling us to do that, they were rich. And I didn't know that back then. I didn't find that out until I actually got into this space and I started doing my own research. And that's when I realized these motherfuckers are making like millions of dollars. No wonder they're telling us to keep doing the same thing and wait. So. I just didn't think that's cool. I think you need to be transparent with people. I'm not saying you have to come out and say, Hey, everybody, I make such and such and such and such, but let's not pretend like you're, you're part of that. You're part of the struggling, you know, working class when you're not, or just, just don't try to pretend that and stop trying to tell working class people how they should, especially poor people, which is often not talked about. Stop trying to tell them how they should and shouldn't fight if you're rich <laughs> just just <be> absolutely
10: <laughs> you're totally right. it's like it's really like we have to unite on its, it's issues, class issues, it's all class uh, the the fight is real, and uh like force the vote, all that stuff. I don't care. I love that Jimmy Dore is so controversial, and like he actually just gets ten times the amount or a hundred times the amount of attention pissing people off because he's telling the truth and I I love him for that and I think he should just keep doing it because like it's way harder and way more dangerous to tell the truth look at, look at our history our leaders that told the truth that were you know executed basically or you know assassinated tell the truth absolutely
0: hopes box thank you so much for calling in
10: one last comment uh when I first heard of I thought, oh my gosh, she could be the next revolutionary leader. Mm-hmm. And I, I really I, I've been wanting her to go on door so bad. And uh like, cause she's fearless. Fearless. And uh I'd like to hear more of her. Just throwing that out there too. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I know. Um, Afini's busy doing a lot of the work on the ground. Um, but hopefully she might be back on this month when I do the women's panel again. But um, yeah, she's been busy doing a lot of stuff on the ground for Freedom Fighters DC. So yeah, I mean, she she's she's so young too. And it's just like, man, like she reminds me of a lot of that hope. Like she, she's in her 20s, right? So it reminds me of like a lot of the hope that some of us had when we were her age, how we had like that that fiery like, yeah, we could we could take on anything kind of spirit Mm -hmm. and somewhere along the way, some of us, including myself, just believe the narrative that if we just work hard enough, then we will be able to get these things in life. Maybe I'm not working hard enough, you know?
10: Right. My name's Hope. So like when you say hope and I'm fifty one now, I just turned fifty one. But, like, she represents a fire to me that, like, I've not seen in in many people in, like, so long, so long. But um, really, my call was supposed to be about you. And I want to praise you and tell you that, like, just keep doing what you're doing. I think, like, you're just going to keep growing and just keep truth telling. Thank you so much. All
0: right. Yeah. <laughs> Julio, you are on the mic.
11: Hey, Sabrina, can you hear me loud and clear? I can. Okay, good, good. So, uh, first all, I actually wanted to ask you a question. So, um, it's my understanding that uh, you've sort of achieved middle class status. Um, do you have a graduate degree? Is that the case? I do, but I didn't
0: achieve middle class status through my degree. I achieved middle class status because I got married. So if it was, if I was totally. just single, I, as an educator in Massachusetts, I was just above the poverty line just because of the cost okay. of living.
11: Yeah. Yeah. What I just fill me in. Cause I, I just want to know uh, what, like, what's that like? What's the poverty line in Boston? I know the prices are way higher than in Florida.
0: Right. Um, so when I was starting out in education, at that time, I was making about eighteen dollars an hour at first when I started out. So not that much more over minimum wage here. So we do have the fifteen dollars minimum wage, Massachusetts. Actually, I think it's fourteen dollars wow. and fourteen dollars and some change now. We're almost at the fifteen dollar mark. But that was one of the things that a lot of us are fighting for on the national level, right? That Massachusetts had already had already accomplished that. So that wasn't much. Um, But even as I started to move up in education, when I went to academic advising at that time, I was like the low fifties, 50 K. And like in in Boston, the Boston area, that doesn't really get you anywhere. So most of us that had those jobs, like in higher ed, we either had roommates or we were married or in a living with our, our partner or whatever. Okay.
11: Okay. That's, but in other that, places, thank you for
0: telling me. Pretty, yeah. in other places that can go pretty far. Like if I was still in South Carolina yeah. where I went to
11: undergrad, I would be okay with that amount. You know, I got to say where I'm in, in Florida, I make about 55 and it's, um, it's plenty it's and it's definitely enough to live on and get by and not have to worry about bills and stuff but the reason i called is cuz uh you know i'm all, um i'm like a my father uh my father's like a, a second generation his parents are both from cuba and my mother is actually from cuba and so i kind of grew up in um this sort of like uh immigrant background but with like you know a lot of strong english and my mother ended up going to school and stuff, and she always pushed us towards that. But I grew up poor, lower middle class. Money was always tight, and everything was always a struggle. Um, people got to go on vacations and things. I never got to, you know, I got some comforts, of course, but, um and Christmas and stuff like that was there. But uh, it. what I wanted to talk about today was, I just want to talk to you about this sort of cold comfort that, uh, I think people are experiencing, including myself, with achieving sort of middle class status. Um, so like where I live, I, like I said, uh, at my salary and my wages, everything's comfortable. But for me, it's what's not comfortable is the fact that most of my family are, you know, most of my family in the United States are in Miami. And by and far, they're doing really terribly. Um, the cost of housing over there is insane. Um, even my cousins make m- more money than me annually, and they can barely keep a roof over their heads. I'm talking seventy thousand dollars like a year plus overtime, they can barely keep a roof over their heads i 've got uncles and cousins that have homes that are worth huge amounts of money, but they can 't sell it because they wouldn't be able to move or, and live anywhere else and everybody 's just struggling, they seem dejected, and um, when I visit them it's 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 there it feels very strange and alien because they're telling me you know and they're telling me in nice ways that you know oh they don't like they don 't like sort of the path they're on in life and they look at me and they think that I've done something great and I, I think it's been a struggle, and I think uh, you know getting to this point in life has been has been like, I've only been, I feel like I've only been financially, uh, liberated for like two years. And it's been amazing in that regard. But again, at the same time, it just comes with this, uh, massive amount of sorrow. And then I, I look at what's happening with like the war on Cuba and they're, they're looking forward to starving those people out. They're talking, you know, the, the, I think it was the Washington Post posted an article. They're how ha- they're rooting for a hot summer because that will make hungry people even more angry. So they're expecting more protests this year. So, you know, looking at all that, where I find myself uh, with this cold comfort is, it seems to me like the best thing that I could do is try to sort of get out of the situation that I'm in uh, with the current job that I have. I would love to get my education, even if they didn't do like, give me a formal PhD or anything. But then go teach high school or or middle school or something. But I feel like uh, us coming from these uh, immigrant families, I think a lot of people are feeling this. I know um, uh, Doctor Wu, who wrote uh, the uh, what was it, uh, virtue hoarders uh, against the professional managerial class. Uh, she was sort of voicing this these same these same concerns. And so I was just like wondering if that if that resonated with you or if you thought about that at all. I know it's cold comfort in my life. And I, w- I was just wondering, cause you seem like the sort of representative from RBN that I most uh, identify with.
0: Sure. Um, I know for me, graduating undergrad, I had a very difficult time financially after that. And that, that lasted for about five years. Um, so I was poor at that point and it was really shocking to, it was really shocking to me, I guess, because I grew up middle class and to all of a sudden really see what it's like to struggle financially because my parents, if they did struggle financially, they never let me see it, if that makes sense. But the perspective that I got, my parents were, they were well off financially. Like they didn't really struggle. Number one, they didn't go to college, so they didn't have student loan debt. They didn't have any of that. So I think for me, it was kind of like a shock. Um, and then trying to dig myself up out of that hole financially for five years, that was really, really tough. But eventually, like when I got out of that, I think because I went through that situation, I have never gotten to a point in my life where I feel financially comfortable. Even though I'm married and that. That extra income makes me middle class here in Massachusetts. I've never felt financially comfortable. And because of that experience, I actually don't like spending money. And it's something I've struggled with for a long time. This is also why you guys may notice this. A lot of times you see me wear the same things, like over and over on screen. I don't, I rarely buy clothes. Um, I, I have what I need for when I need it. And that's, that's kind of it. Um, When I do buy those kinds of things, I I look for things that are cheap. And it's not because I can't afford to pay $15 for a shirt versus $10 for a shirt. It's because that $5 difference may come back to bite me later on. And so I have never felt financially comfortable. I've always felt like I'm just... One month away, anything could happen and I could be back in that situation again. And I remember how tough that was and I never want to get back there. So psychologically, being poor, it really fucks up your mind. Like it really does because I can't fill up my gas tank till this day because I think that's an extra $10. What if I need that $10 later on down the road? So, And I identify with people like Jim Carrey when he made the statement that his biggest fear is that he'll end up homeless again, even though he's crazy rich. Because when you're in poverty and you get out of it, that is one of the biggest fears that you'll end up back there again. And so for me, I think where I struggle is that I don't really know how to just spend money. I don't really know how to just do that comfortably. I've learned how to just like have the things that I need, even like, like at my house, like I have just what I need and that's it. (laughs) Most people come in here and they're like, it looks kind of empty in here. Like I have just what I need and that's it. And it's because I have this overwhelming amount of guilt when I spend money. And that's something like, you know, I have to work on myself, but JB and I have talked about this often as well, like being poor, it really does something to you, like, like psychologically, especially for people who go through that and then they get out of it. So I think that in order for me to ever get to a point where I felt financially comfortable again, we would have to have things in this country that we've been fighting for. Like we would need to have universal health care for everyone. Uh, I still have student loan debt. God forbid. like. They would need to cancel student loan debt. Like, I just always feel like that's something that will always be hanging over my head. So until everybody in this country has those
11: tangibles. I don't know if I would ever feel like financially comfortable. See, that's that's really, really interesting. So when I graduated college undergraduate, I couldn't make any money. I was working all of these little part time jobs here and there. And it was awful. And so I basically saw that you had to have a master's degree to to, to be able to um, actually pull a salary and get health care and benefits and things like that. So I opted to go into a program that was actually uh, foreshortened. It was like a, a, a master's program that allowed you to get it in an accelerated time frame. As a consequence of that, I feel like I got cheated um, and I feel like uh, they, you know, they ended up stealing another $30,000 from me. And so I'm currently in debt about $65,000 for my bachelor's and my master's degree. Um, and I, because my degrees are technical and because of the line of work that, I might, that I'm in is extremely secure for me, um, the weight of those loans don't, don't hit the same but I do definitely understand like what it was like to be poor. I mean, when I did finally become financially secure as uh, what I would consider myself, um, I owed my girlfriend about $4,000 because she was spotting me just to get me through the months and the rent and everything. I mean, that's a significant amount of money and it sucks. I mean, it hurts. I, I remember calling, you know, like asking my parents for money, telling them I didn't have enough food and you know, that stuff. But I, I think the other issue here, I, I guess the other thing that I kind of uh, see differently is um, I think the way that Americans look about poverty is a little, it, it's hard for me uh, to compare it because my. I, I visited my family in Cuba. I mean, when we go to Cuba, we bring them aid and we're talking about rolling blackouts because they can't afford to keep the lights on and rationing. We have to let them know we're coming ahead of time so they can essentially steal gasoline um, so that there's enough so to take us around when we're there, you know, there's just so much that there's just so much poverty that's endured there. And then my mother grew up in abject poverty. You know, she, she flew into this country with nothing but her mother and, a, and her sisters and brothers and you know, no father because uh, Castro did not permit a visa for my grandfather. And uh, they, they, they lived in abject poverty where like the kids don't have shoes and rats are pulling at their hair when they're sleeping in the beds. And, you know, my mother has to this day has issues around food and she does things like uh, break uh, chicken bones and suck the marrow out and all kinds of behaviors that are associated with um, real, real abject poverty, which does absolutely exist in America. but I tend to see it in the very, very rural parts. And I don't think most people are thinking of that. Um, yes. But I definitely yeah. I, I, I def- just wanted to say that I do think that achieving middle-class status has been really awful. I think it's mm-hmm. been really um, bad for me, neurotically at least, because it's just so disgusting. Um, all of the people being thrown aside everywhere and all of it's a threat. To everyone, and people don't seem to listen, and it's hard to it's hard to get people to understand that uh, I, I it's I think that our 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 virtue is theatrical. I, I it's the middle class. I I dream, like I said, I dream of teaching in a high school or going moving to Cuba and just being done with the debt. But I, I do have it, but I, I just never felt crushed by it, I guess.
0: Yeah. Not you know, I think I, I think part of it is because I, I had a lot of hope. I was a first generation college student. For those who don't know what that means, that I was the first person in my family to go to college. So that was like a, a big deal. Right. And to go through all of that and to graduate from undergrad and then realize you're graduating into a crushed economy and you can't get the job. That you really should be getting or the income you really should be getting for having a bachelor's degree. I think that really like did something to me. It just made me feel some kind of some kind of way, you know. And so I'll be honest with you. If I knew that I wouldn't be able to achieve middle class status on my own, like when I was single, like on my own, I wouldn't have gone to college because I don't think it was worth it for like the student loan debt that I occurred because of that and then having to go back to college for grad school just to get a higher level position because those positions, even though you already have the experience, the position requires you to have a master's degree, even though technically you really didn't need it because you already had the experience. But that's what's required. And so that's a big problem in this country, I think. But if I could have done things differently, knowing what I know now, I wouldn't have gone to college.
11: I think a lot of people are thinking that right now. You see um, men, especially young men, especially are dropping out of college in record numbers. I think this is a disaster. I think that the things that increase the growth of the economy, which is good for working class and poor families, uh, is investments into technology and education. And I think we are, ap- we have absolutely, uh, Created an abomination of an education system in the United States. It was one of the few good things we had along with the, the postal service and, you know, social security and things like that. Uh, the very few that we have, but I am, I'm absolutely devastated to see people choosing not to go to college because what I'm seeing, at least in the universities, is I've got s- students who are coming to me and saying they'd love to go to grad school and stuff, but they need to go get a job because their current education is literally indebting or is literally like preventing their their mother or father or whatever from retiring because they're taking out so much debt. They'll have to work for forever is the sort of line that I hear. It's So what I think I'm worried, I'm very worried that, you know, as these institutions shrink, especially under this devastated economy, this slow crash that we're in right now, that the universities are just going to they're going to become even more of what they are today, which is institutions that reproduce this social elite, um, and uh, are essentially can for again for the elite are basically playgrounds. I don't know. It's like you were saying, they pay you pay all this money to go to school, and it's all going to like the call this football coach or something.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Uh Julio, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go to the next caller.
11: All right. See you later.
0: Okay. All right. Uh Hussein, you're on the mic. Lance, you already spoke, so I'm going to go to uh Hussein. Oh, Hussein's gone. He might have hit the wrong button. That happens sometimes. I'm not sure. All right, Lance, that means you are back on the mic. Just got to hit unmute. Oh he,
1: he I I will I'll, I'll mute or you know call back after he's back. Oh okay, I see him. Okay. So I'll I'll come back. Okay, who's Just gotta hit unmute.
0: Uh oh, it dropped off again. I'll make you um a speaker. So I just invited you to speak, you just have to accept it. Sometimes this um, this app has that problem. Sometimes I don't know why. Um, okay, there you are. You just have to, you just have to unmute.
12: Hey, Sabrina. No. Can you hear me? I unmuted. Did I not? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, I was gonna, I'm gonna read the thing here. It says Biden has recently admitted in a press conference that high gas and food prices won't end soon. Thoughts? My thoughts are, who, 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 politically, who do you think told him? Because he can't say words like this, right? It has to come from somewhere. So did he ask like the feds or whoever runs the, the government part, of the? I mean, the money part of the government to... Did he ask for advice and then bring it down to us, to like the population, the constituents? I guess who do you think made the call for him to say such things? Like, oh, we can't. Uh, it's this is going to get worse and worse and worse. Since he's the president, shouldn't he tell us who made the call, or is it just him saying like, hey, the economists and everybody who's in charge of running the, uh, I guess the Senate, whatever board there is? Uh, they're making this and I'm the president. I'm telling you guys this is what they're saying. Is it that type of thing? Because I'm confused about like the channel of communication here in itself. Why would he say that? Who told him that? Yeah, that's a good question. He didn't say who told him that. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was a question that someone asked him during a uh, press conference. And that was the response that he gave.
12: In a sense, this inflation is uh, for um, it's looking like it's going to get worse for people, and uh, th- we're just going to have to like deal with it, is at this point here. Like, we're not. There's nobody to hold accountable for what's happening. It's just, hey guys, the war is happening. Uh, gas is um, COVID hit, and now we're in this. That's it. Like, there's no consequences for people that might have messed up up in the government, you know, the Fauci's and the lying and all that, the left and right, none of that. We're not, we're not going to talk about that in a sense. No.
0: No, he's not going to talk about that. I mean, basically do not expect this to change like the way before November. Well, I'm kind
12: of African. The disconnect in the American government confuses me sometimes. Like the fact that we have a president, but it don't like he has a lot of power, but he does have power, but then he doesn't want to use the power he has. Cause I'm not. I I read sort of how the government works. I like I like politics a little bit. It's cool. But it seems like there's this weird disconnect between the uh, between the president himself and the people who make the the laws, like the legislatures or the ones who pass down the laws. And I'm confused because I'm like, why are they not communicating in a in a symbiotic way to tell both of us, like, hey guys, this is exactly why this happened, and this is what we're trying to do to fix it. Not like, hey, this is this, we can't do anything. We're 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 uh, we, there's just nothing we could do. I don't know. Am I am I misunderstanding it or? Do you- more knowledge politically you know I'm just a kid just learning well
0: they're only going to tell <laughs> us so much yeah they're they're only going to tell mm. us so much and they don't always give us details especially when it comes to financials I mean I go back to the 08 housing crisis similar situation where they knew what was going on they knew people were losing their homes or actually their homes were being stolen from them. They knew that there were all these different banks, all these different businesses in Wall Street that were involved in doing this. They knew all about it. And what did President Obama do? He came back and said, well, you know, they weren't really doing anything, but, you know, we couldn't hold them accountable for it. Didn't go into the details. It wasn't until like later on you found out every step of the detail what they did. And I found that out through a documentary, right, from someone who had actually been affected during that crisis so they never tell you like all the details same thing i go back to the war in iraq they lied to us about that they lied to us when they told us that there were weapons of mass destruction they had no weapons of mass destruction we didn't find out till later on that they lied about it so that's the thing with our government they don't always tell us like all the details they don't always present facts in the way that they should be presented and sometimes they just flat out lie and it's unfortunate But we have two parties in this country that are controlled by Wall
12: Street. And so I would. That's really what I was trying to get at there. I was was trying to get like, why is he not telling us the Wall Street name so we can at least protest them instead of him? Because if if he's like, I don't want to take responsibility because this is the Brinks fault, then tell us who in Wall Street specifically names that we need to protest against so this type of stuff doesn't happen. I think that's your job as a president to represent the American people, right? Like you could be like, hey, this person with this last name coming from this family said that this cannot happen. This is why we can't, this is why we have inflation. And then us, the population would go and protest what we need to do with that the banker or whoever the bankers are, why don't we not know their names? like specifically their names. I do you know them? Do you know do you know them by the, by name like exact names? I know the name of the
0: the companies that I think we should be out there protesting against that are on Wall Street like for example Wells Fargo, they were also involved in the housing crisis. Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, these are troublesome uh companies. But you have to look bigger than that. And you really have to look at these organizations like BlackRock. You have to look at Vanguard. You have to look at uh, State Street Corporation because although they are companies, a lot of times those three, and I call them the big three, they're the Mm -hmm. ones that are shareholders in other companies like Disney. And so that's really who we should be targeting. And there's nothing wrong with Occupy Wall Street you know, great movement. I thought it was something that was needed. Mm-hmm. However, even those companies on Wall Street, the Goldman Sachs, the the, uh, the Wells Fargo, they're kind of just pawns. Whereas we really need to be going after the kings, and that is Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street Corporation. They're the ones that are shareholders in so many different businesses. Some you wouldn't even think about. They even control the media. Because they're shareholders with CNN, with MSNBC, with Fox News. And so we went over this one time on RBN explaining to people who really controls what. And once you see how many companies that they are shareholders for, then you understand why the media has the same talking points that the White House has. All these people are connected. And so people like Joe Biden, because he has corporate donors, He's not Mm -hmm. going to turn on those donors. And the same thing with with Barack Obama. He knew that what happened with the 08 housing crisis was wrong. He chose to bail out Wall Street instead of bailing out the American people. So we just watch people lose their homes and get evicted because his job was to protect the corporations. Their job is never really to protect the American people. And what they'll do, they'll give us a little bit of crumbs here and there to make it look like they're doing their job. They can't totally, like, blow their cover, right? Right, right. Their main focus, while they are in D.C., particularly the ones on the national level, is to protect the corporations and to protect corporate interests, because that's where the money is. The money is not with the American people, and they value money more than they value the people.
12: Right. The reason why I was asking for like specific names was, at least we call the people we fight, the Russians, us Americans, when we fight them, we say, hey, Putin and his cronies. And then we know Putin's cronies. Like, we know Removich and all the oil, all the oligarchs, their names and everything. So it's easier to, like, look at them. When you talk about it, it seems more vague. You say corporations and Wall Street, but I don't know who who is this Wall Street. So their class, do they have a bigger oligarchy where it's They have way more, it has to be that they have billionaires, more billionaires here or millionaires, whatever the case may be, where it's like hidden. When you say corporation, I feel like it's a dangerous thing, the the term itself, because it's vague. It's vague. There's no name to it because they can change it tomorrow to a different name or a different company's name. And then you don't know who runs that. So I feel like we have our own oligarchs. We just call them corporations.
0: Yeah, we don't know all their names. That's the thing. Some of these people are hidden. Like I've done a lot of research on this before in the past too. Like who owns what? And it seems like you can only go back so far and then you just hit a brick wall and it doesn't tell you the actual individuals or the family that owns this. And so that's on purpose. That's on purpose. And it's it's sad and it's unfortunate, but
1: they don't want to be known. Hassan? Oh no, I think Oh, I think I lost you. Oh, that might be CIA.
0: <laughs> I don't mean it like that, but I think I lost him.
12: Um, no, I was saying are you from here? Like, were you born in America?
0: Yes, I was born in America.
12: Okay. That's all I needed. That's all I had to say. I I, was, I guess I'll go do more research and try to find out some more stuff 'Cause you know, I, I this kind of stuff interests me lately. So I'll get into that. Thank you though. Thank you for hearing me out and accepting my questions, I should say.
0: Thank you so much for calling in anytime. Goodbye. Bye bye. Okay, Lance, you're gonna be the last caller. I'm just looking at the time here.
5: Yeah. You know, I think this is important. So <clears throat> the first time I ever spoke on your show. I was talking about how uh, rural voters and Trumpers, I live around Trumpers. I get along with them better than liberals. It's really true. And and I don't just find common ground. I, I challenge them on Trump stuff. And so I get along fine with right-wingers. I have hunters and right-wingers, you know, that are in my family as you know, and f- friends that are acquaintances. They won't be my closest friends if they have that racial tinge going on, but they're acquaintances. I don't hate them, you know, whatever. Okay, so... That's me, you know, and I love working across the aisle with the far right, I don't care if it's Rand Paul or whoever it would be in terms of all that. But when you look at like Chris Hedges, he did a book about American Christian right fascism, even though he criticizes Democrats worse because that was the conduit in terms of what's not happening on the left. But he criticizes both. Same with like Richard Wolff, who is always going to say, no, these people aren't evil, but this is why they're doing what they're doing. He understands totally. Had a lot of empathy for Trump voters, as I do, and about the guns and about how it's they're driven to that because they don't have a way to protect their, you know, for family with financially with jobs, et cetera, et cetera. So that's me, right? right. Just to say that. But this whole thing with Glenn Greenwald, well, Jimmy Dore too. I think he's a little bit more like. Always wants to emphasize, like, it's not like he ever criticizes the right for anything. He always wants to just show how, oh, see, look where they agree. DeSantis, the liberal, and, you know, he doesn't really say, but, you know, interestingly, though, of course, on the left, it's always like, well, no, I disagree with everything, but they have the right, the trucker convoy, or whatever. They never want to agree with the people. But I think this is important because this back and forth I had with Glenn, he did the same thing to Q, Q Anthony, who he has a show with, okay? And he totally contradicted himself in, like, the breath in two different areas first he said tucker carlson never talks about you know a uh, great re- the replacement theory and then another caller just piped in with like yeah he does look see here he talked about it also that he um you know with with tucker that uh that he 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 um is totally not racist number one and that he's not a vocal point now what i want to say is remember the skokie thing with guys in uniforms all right, Nazis in uniforms, okay, and the ACLU defended them. well, remember David Duke said, forget the uniforms, get rid of the tattoos, just look like regular businessmen and run for office, right, remember that, okay, that's what they do now, there's only two people since Rush Limbaugh in 1986, none of these people, Mark Levin, even I think Alex Jones, maybe a little bit, none of these people, Have been embraced by the true David Duke type. None of them. Only two. Bannon. When he became into the White House for a while before he left, we finally got one of our own in the White House. Remember that? The only other person they say that about is Tucker, who cleans up. Of course, he doesn't say things that are blatantly racist. But Glenn goes beyond just that. He says, Well, we have a different worldview. He doesn't say, hey man, you know, we have your in other words, Chris had just knew, okay, that 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 RT was just manipulating him. You know, that they, they RT, Russian TV, of course they had me on because I criticized the government and they got a laugh out of it and it was good propaganda for Russia. Chris had to do that and he, he said it. Okay. But, this is way beyond. There's a 10 minute thing I had back and forth. And he did the same thing to Q. This is important, right? He says to Q Anthony, who was, uh, his, you know, partner on Redacted. He had one of his, one of the call in shows he had. And he said, well, Q, yeah, those are interesting points. You know, but do you watch Tucker eight to nine every night? He says, yes, I do. Cause I'm, you know, I think he goes, Oh, and then Glenn says, cause some people don't. And then, and then he responded to the people who don't. Yeah, because they only see a snippet and then then they make all these judgments and they don't really understand. Well, Q said he does watch it for, for, you know, for purposes. Okay. And, and, okay, now with me, I said, yes, until I didn't have cable four years ago, I did watch it because I want to know what these people are up to. I want to know what they're saying. They do have clouds. So I said, yes, I watched a lot of uh, Bill O'Reilly, you know, right. And then it became Tucker after that. A lot of it, a lot of it, a lot of it, absorbed a lot of it. I said, I only watch segments now, right? Now listen to what he said. He said, well, to to Q, I went back and listened to the episode, you know, say, what's going on with the whole thing here? Let me get some context, you know. Beside my conversation, I joined late. I was the last caller, like now. And he said to Q, oh, do you watch it? He's, oh, Glenn says, because I don't watch it. I only watch long segments, but I sit down with Tucker beforehand and afterhand, and I really get to know him. And he's not what everybody thinks. He is not a racist at all. And he's a good oh, you know, he's a nice guy. And he just wants legacy Americans. And he's like American tradition. It's bizarre. It's way, way, way beyond. He happens to be an outlet for me to talk. He totally defends Tucker, his racism. He's not a dog whistle. He's not, he, and like I said, it's only him and Bannon that have ever been embraced openly by the neo, by the neo-Nazi type. So I don't know. Does that have any? You know, do you think that sounds troubling if if what I'm saying is true?
0: I think that people, for whatever reason, have this perception that Glenn Greenwald is left.
5: No, I don't Denver care. No, 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 no. I, I was mentioning Sager and Jetty. I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt at the end here. No, Sager and Jetty doesn't like embrace Tucker and defend Tucker. In other words, Sager's a conservative. I never hear Robbie Schwabe, whatever his name is. He doesn't defend Tucker like. Oh no, Tucker's just a good old boy. No, no. no. Wait, wait,
0: wait, what I'm saying, I don't care if
5: I don't care if Flan is <laughs> right of center. I don't care if Flan's a conservative for anybody to no, no, defend. No, Tucker. no,
0: no, no. If it's something guy, you just said. You said you would never heard Sager do what. Or does he defend Tucker a lot? I don't know.
5: And his non-racism? Um, Maybe he I does. Uh,
0: Sagar and Jetty is also friends with Tucker Carlson. In fact, Indie Left News okay. just published a article the other day that shows Sagar and Jetty hanging out with Tucker Carlson.
5: Well, so does, so does Glenn. Saw- Glenn is good buddies with him, so right. there you right. go. But
0: But listen, but listen, but listen. This is where I think the misunderstanding is. I think people people tend to give a pass and I talked I was talking about this the other day. People tend to give a pass for Sagar to be on the right. But it's not Whoa. okay. But but wait a minute. People tend to give a pass and by people I don't mean necessarily you per se. I'm just saying this is based on what I've seen. I've seen left independent media podcasters criticize people like Jimmy Dore for going on to Tucker Carlson show. They did the same thing with Chris Smalls went on Tucker Carlson show. They did the same thing when Aaron Monte went on Tucker Carlson show, but it was okay for Sager to hang out with Tucker Carlson and go on his show. So, see, this is the thing. Just because Sagar and Jetty host a show with Crystal Ball and she's supposed to be on the left and they're friends with other lefties. That does not mean that he's any less right than some of these other right wing people that people are referring to that go on to Tucker Carlson's show. So that this is the problem Absolutely. that I have because I don't believe in this whole. Absolutely. no. no, no. Sagar and Jetty is also on the right and he tells you he's on the right, but you have people who host these shows and they advocate for left ideas like Jimmy Dore does. And Jimmy Dore will tell you he's on the left and he criticizes both parties. He tells you both of them are bad. But if he does the same thing that Sagar and Jetty does and he goes on Tucker's show, all of a sudden he gets smeared. And I've been watching people smear him day after day after day. And this is not me trying to come in and defend Jimmy Dore. But when I'm seeing podcasters flat out every other fucking day do live streams smearing Jimmy Dore, calling him right wing. But they sit up there and they praise Sagar and Jetty because he hosts a show with Crystal Ball, who seems to be on the left. I call bullshit.
5: Me too. I totally agree. Could could I
0: respond now? What's really going on? on? Because this is what I think is happening. I think some of these people that are aligned with Mr. Ryan Grimm and this whole intercept, that whole, that whole crowd. I think some of these people have basically been put out to do a smear job against Jimmy Dore. and anybody that is associated with Jimmy Dore, We're automatically called the dumb, dumb left. And I've seen it happen. I haven't been in this space. I've seen it happen. Meanwhile, that whole other side that they sit up there and praise and they make excuses for those people do not have conversations with any of us that have smaller channels. Jimmy Dore does. So if you have a disagreement with someone, my suggestion and my advice is to have the discussion. It doesn't even have to be on a live show. It could just be a Zoom meeting discussion. Have the discussion. They won't do that. They will smear us instead. So what's the problem? So I'm I'm really tired of people saw Grand Jetty a fucking pass and trying to smear Jimmy Dore.
5: No, 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 no. And and the thing is, Jimmy Dore, I put him like Joe Rogan in the sense that he even he's a lot more serious. I I like Jimmy Dore's takes a lot more than Joe Rogan. But he's a comedian doing his takes in a serious way. So he's not trying to be a serious journalism the way Matt Chievi, for instance, is. He doesn't tell you which party he likes or whatever. He he is who he is. Same with Glenn Greenwald. And Glenn Greenwald, the first words I said to him was, you are unsurpassed. I don't use hyperbole. Nobody has been more courageous in the Snowden story, what you had to do to put that out. What you had to do in Brazil was protection because you were actually kidnapped for a while, literally. And I said, no one's more courageous or more impactful in the 21st century than Glenn Greenwald. I put him at the absolute top of journalism, unsurpassed in the 21st century. Absolutely. But here's the thing, right? Is that it's not, it's not just you know, like with Jimmy Dore, absolutely. I think this is ridiculous what these people do, and they're all on the same team, and they're all privileged, they're all coming of upper middle class, and they have no idea what it's like, and it's all a game to them. I absolutely ten thousand percent agree with all that. But who's different is if, if he wants to be like a journalist, not have you know uh, exposing his uh point of view or you know his party or anything like that, but he's on Twitter, he has a lot of takes on stuff, and he. No, he uses his 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 like stature. Not not that he uses any of the stories about blah blah blah, but he uses his stature. Say, well, wait a minute, no, I'm good. and he does. Listen to this, Glenn Greenwald does talk to people like me. He does do a calling show for real and talk to people, but he uses the same talking point to just put down your argument like the lawyer that he was. He's not doing good fake discussions on that. Jimmy Dore does. I think he would. I think Jimmy Dore has the people around him. He has a big staff. I don't think he puts every word that he says. I think some of it's written for him, but he checks it out. But So I, I think that's different, too. Glenn Greenwald is not that. He's not a comedian.
0: He's- oh. Oh, Lance, I think you cut out. But I'll, I'll I'll talk here for a second. I think that, yeah, I think you cut out. Um, I think that Glenn Greenwald has done like really great journalism. I mean, we're going all the way back to the whole Edward Snowden like incident, right? So I think he's yep. done great journalism. I haven't listened to Glenn Greenwald's call-in show, so I don't know what the discussion is is like. Um, but I will say again, like. I really don't care about Tucker Carlson. (laughs) I've said this on my show. I give zero fucks about Tucker Carlson. I really, I really do not care about this dude. And I think Tucker Carlson knows what he's doing. When he gets on his show, he's playing to the audience that he has. He sees his show as pure entertainment. He doesn't see it the way that a lot of us see it. And so my thing is, is like, do I take someone like Tucker Carlson seriously? No, that's the, that's the difference.
5: But but but, but, but,
0: but here's the thing.
5: But 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 uh, this is an interesting back and forth, Sammy, because you are the absolute best. Like when I talk about not being hyperbolic, because you're moving around, you're not just blundering and all that. But here's the thing again: it's that um, he. Uh, he's on there for a reason no matter how many advertisers he loses. It's because the neo-Nazi type white love him. Let me say one thing. I'm not an alarmist and I'm not a uh, you know, like a conspiracy theorist but but like Chris Hedges Kind of, you know, not that he has to confirm what I already knew, but on the state level, what Bannon said, go to the precinct level and get to be poll workers, not poll watchers. They have restrictions. They're going to be poll workers. And they've out the consent decree. This is the first time this consent decree where now they're going to be able to have armed people in, you know, in like security guard uniforms, right? So they look like uniforms in the precinct. They're going to be doing this. It's not going to just be the legislature after the fact. I'm not an alarmist about this, but this is what's happening at the state level. And this is why Tucker's important to their whole operation. So it's not just some buffoon that you don't have to listen to. That's why he's on. Why would they otherwise keep him on when his advertisers really do crash and he's not making any money for him? Because he's important to the right-wing agenda. And media is very important. Come on, there's a lot of older folks who listen to that stuff that aren't on social media and TikTok. They aren't Twittering. They're listening to Tucker. And it's a huge... It's a, it's a combination. See, it's not going to be, oh, it's Tucker or it's this or it's that. It's banning telling people what to, use. and they are, they're doing it. Look it up. <laughs> you know, and you know what Chris Hedges is saying? What's happening overall is just what happened to Yugoslavia. We're well, right on that trajectory and he's not in the wrong like, But that's why it's important because I'm sorry, but to call people like Chris Hedges, uh, call people like Brian Greenwald out. And to call people like Tucker Carlson out, because, you know, Richard Wolf's very fair about Trump voters and some people, but listen to him talk about Tucker. And he's being embraced and kind of whitewashed and kind of like, yeah, you know, he has different stuff. He's David Duke. Okay, Tucker Carlson is, is if David Duke. So if you don't mind, ah, David Duke. Nobody takes him seriously. That's who Tucker Carlson is. Because David Duke says the only people that are worth a damn with are Steve Bannon and Tucker Carlson. He's their guy. And that's why he's. I'm sorry, but I'll stop there. But this is a lot more insidious, I think, savvy than you think. And I know you're open-minded; it would be convinced. You're not trying to defend anyone, but it goes a lot deeper than you think, especially with all this stuff going on on the state and local level. It's going to get ugly. And I don't think people realize how close we really are to having spots of civil war going on because these people are armed, and they are. They're not all wackos that are going going to go into a school, and it's not just the Proud Boys. It's getting scarier and scarier because it's not and it's not people that are going to the Capitol all dressed up in garb. You see, it's going to be the people that are quietly waiting for the opportunity during these elections. And but here's another thing. It's not grassroots militia people. It's billionaires. It's Koch brothers. Bannon's got people lined up. You know, it's it's billionaires doing grassroots stuff. And it isn't about overturning Roe v. Wade. And it isn't about, you know, CRT and, you know, not teaching slavery. It's about taking over local and state governments and district attorneys. Do you know about the pipeline? Do you know now they're gonna have real time district no. attorneys, lawyers, pro bono, and judges? I get I
0: get I get all of this, but the point that I'm trying to make is this was already an issue before Tucker Carlson. That's no, what no, no, I'm
5: they're going to have real time judges, real time judges, real time DAs at the polls, at the polls and say, what do we do about this? What do we do about that? And they're being briefed and they're being trained how to, how to challenge voters at the polls. They're going to have people armed outside that aren't going to do it, but the people, they're going to have to walk by them because that's going to be legal. And then inside they're going to say, are you a citizen? And they're going to have all these questions to ask. There's going to be all kinds of intimidation tactics by the poll workers who get paid for it. Therefore, they're getting trained, and it's by billionaires and billionaires. It's really happening, you know what I mean? And that's why it ties in with talking.
0: Right. But but what I'm saying is when it comes to racism in this country, when it comes to the people that you were mentioning, people like Steve Bannon, when it comes to people like David Duke, David Duke's been around for years. So this was not started because of Tucker Carlson. This has been a problem for a long time. And I know this very well, hands on, having lived in the South. So I think that I think do I think that Tucker Carlson is innocent? No, I don't. But I like I would hope a lot of us listening I don't take Tucker Carlson seriously I think that's the difference and I, I think more of us need to stop like looking at him as if he's some kind of like podcast like hero or god or whatever like I don't even think Tucker Carlson takes himself seriously half the time
5: so oh I think, he knows exactly what that's the whole thing he knows exactly okay, what he's doing. I
0: think, I think you're too focused on this one person. No, he's not
5: one person. it's not just one person. It's not just one person. It's a whole network of people.
0: Right, but 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 the other networks are awful too. Like this is no, the whole. No, CNN,
5: no, I don't, I don't. No, 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 I don't mean <laughs> Fox. No, I mean the network of people that is Steve Bannon and it's Tucker, but it's a lot of people that we don't know at the state and local level that are like, yeah, and they're running for these offices and they're winning. You see what I mean? And it's not going. to, You know what I mean? So they're, they're all listening to each other. But the
0: argument that you just gave and you just mentioned David Duke and Steve Bannon. Who should people be more focused on? Out of the three, David Duke, Steve Bannon, and Tucker Carlson, you keep me mentioning Tucker Carlson. I feel like people, if they really want, they're serious and focused about this. Then the people you should be focused on is Steve Bannon and David David Duke. Do you see what well, I'm saying? You know,
5: yeah, but Tucker Carlson gets off his gets off the air, and then he goes and talks to people. I don't know who he's talking to, but he had a super right wing racist guy that was his uh, his partner. You know, long after he left Daily Wire and saw, okay, that was Daily Wire. Big deal. I moved on from that. Past. Big deal. I get that. But no, he kept one of those most racist dudes that was his right-hand man until we got exposed. Who would still be there. He, Tucker Carlson doesn't go off the air and then go hang out with Glenn Green well, he's going and talking to Steve Dan. What do we got going? What do you know? He's in the pipeline. <laughs> no, no, this isn't Sean he's Hannity. And this, like movie. Movie. this isn't like, this isn't fathers and grandfathers, right wingers, This is These people it's, are taking over little by little the entire infrastructure awesome. across the country at the state and local level. Because this is why the judges, this
8: is why they put Trump t- Go ahead.
0: Listen, I I think we need to stop pretending like Tucker Carlson is the only person that's had racist people on their show. You have people on the left and I'm talking left independent media that have had racists on their show. Should we be as worried about them? Yes. Okay. (laughs) that's that's
1: it. Maybe more so. Maybe.
0: Right. But I, I think what we need to be. Listen, we already know. When it comes to the overt racism we already know you're going to see that more so on the right and what the point that i try to drive home to people is when it comes to the covert racism you really need to be focused on people who say they're on the left the the left you need to be focused on people who say that they're liberals the democrats they're the ones oh, like i yeah. said the fox those are the ones you the really mom, need to be focused on the ones that pretend I wrote it like they're yes, yes. okay about that, but they're not
5: the Martin Luther King moderates—they're more insidious, more evil than the right wingers who put it in your face. The KKK, yeah, absolutely. But this is what I mean, though, is that these are not just like right wingers, Trumpers. These are like very, very clever neo-Nazi types. They're very different, and they're—they're they're a concern. I mean, only because, not because they're going to get into office and stay there. They'll get exposed even by. Are like Trump lovers. They'll say, "Oh my God, we who knew," and they'll get they'll vote them out. I have faith in local politics. I do. So I'm not being alarmist. I'm talking about what's going to happen is if there's uh, armed, if it gets to the point where it gets forced to arm. You see what I mean? And this is what happens. None of these people. Let me say this last point. None of these people, like whether it's Proud Boys and all the militias that do it overtly, or whether it's people that just have a lot of guns in their closet, none of them are thinking about. Like, even if they talk about civil war, they're thinking about that theoretically, like, well, maybe, but we're armed and we'll be fine. When it happens, nobody expects it. And this is what Chris Hedges talks about. And that's where we're close to. We're keeping getting creeping closer and closer to what happened in Yugoslavia, which was not some armed thing with armed camps or, you know, different, you know, militias or different rebel groups. It was just regular people that just started slaughtering each other and that's what she's saying that might be happening here and that's why it's alarming and that's why no it's not just tucker of course but again you have to think about why would he be on there if he's not making a money you know if it's all about money not a damn thing funny it's because he's important to this whole right wing adjacent people like the Koch brothers and people who want the chaos because they know that that's the you know apocalyptic doom scenario that they can they can cash in you know uh Disaster, you know capitalism and all that, they want to play off. I'm to say to you think to that
0: Glenn Wait a minute. So you think that Glenn Greenwald is trying to do this?
5: Uh no. What I think is it's pretty scary. With I don't. I don't know why he's doing it. But the point is, is, that he knows about the dress up from the Skokie people with the with the Nazi insignia you know, marching in the street to the cleaned up clean up your act, David Duke fight. He pretends that that, that 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 he ignores that that happened. He and he said, and he, he does not acknowledge that Tucker Carlson talks to these people. But he, oh, that's only one side of him. He says no, you don't know Tucker Carlson doesn't have an alka him. He's not, and he never says anything racist. Of course, that's what uh, David Duke said. Just like Lee At, like Lee Atwood, whatever his name is. First, it was a segregation today, tomorrow, forever. Then it was law and order. Then it was, uh, you know. Uh, uh, uh You know, uh, uh, identity politics or you know uh, affirmative action. because you keep cleaning up the language. And you keep going further and further to the right, and, and you know Lindsey was too smart not to know that. He just sends it like, oh no no Tucker Carlson, Steve Bannon. I don't know about that. And like like if Tucker Carlson isn't like Steve Bannon, and Tucker never talks like that. And here's the thing, he says to me, right? Oh well, if you don't watch it all the time, then you can't. You know, he said he only watches segment, right? And it's like, but I sit down with him. And he told me, that I, he was talking about media matters. And I said, media matters is a joke. I said, I, I think that they're idiots because most of the things they criticize Fox for, I agree with. They pick out stuff that I happen to agree with Fox. I agree with Fox a lot on individual things I told. I said to Glenn, you know, and I said, so I think media matters sucks. Now, listen to what he said. This is bizarre. He says, well, uh, you could get brainwashed by it, even if you know there are farce. How can it be that I know they're a farce and yet Media Matter is going to brainwash me into thinking something like the some brainworm? Even though he said that he only watches clips and, and put me down for only watching clips of Tucker. So therefore, I said, that's not right. I don't watch enough Tucker, so I can't. know. I said, unless he's changed in the last five years drastically from the clip. Oh, yeah, he's radically different from five years ago. This is what Glenn said. He's radically different than five years ago, Tucker is. I don't know what he's changed, Tucker, that he's so much better now than five years ago, except that he cleaned it up with some populist crap. But, you know, and then he says to his Q, the same guy, if you go back, he goes, well, Q, do you watch it all the time or are segment segments? And then he says he watches it all the time, and he still said, oh, yeah, well, some people watch only segments, and they don't really know the real Tucker because I sit down with him, and I have coffee beforehand in the green room, and we talk, and he's a good old boy, he just wants American legacy. He totally the same, Tucker all in, in every way, shape, or form. He doesn't just he says, Well, we have a different worldview, but you know, that's all he says. He doesn't say I vehemently disagree on some of his take." He doesn't say any of that, you know. He just says I have we have a different worldview. That's the most harsh thing he said about Tucker. Uh, I don't know. Well, that's
0: interesting. Uh, I mean, I yeah. don't know, I mean, I don't know Glenn Greenwald, I've never met him, I don't know Tucker Carlson, I don't know any of them. So my whole thing is is just that I mean I'd have to listen to that segment that Glenn Greenwald has on calling, like I said, I haven't listened to his calling show. But my thing is, well, I think that we need to focus. You know what, on I'm, I'm gonna end with it. I'm not gonna interrupt to, to talk more, just to end it because you got to end it.
5: You're gonna say, "Okay, Lance, thanks a lot. See you later." So I just, I'll, I'll. You have the last word. I'll just finish with this. You know, I had a back and forth with Matt Stoller about China. Big deal. I won the. ice. not even his thing. And that's Matt always Matt Stoller. Big deal. But you know what, if you're interested, it's an interesting 10 minutes. If you listen to the 10 minutes that I had with him, not because I'm trying to blow my own horn, but it might give me a different take because he was so disingenuous about saying, yeah, those are good points. I want to really answer them. Then he went with the, do you watch a lot of Tucker, though? Let me ask this one question. I said, well, no, but not, not back and forth. Oh, okay. Then he went on and talked about, well, here, let me say one thing. And he goes into some thing in Brazil about traditional Brazilians and just like traditional Americans, never, never answered any of the points I made. And I made a point about immigration that my parents, grand, my I'm second generation. My grandparents that I loved, spent a lot of time with were uh, came over on the boat. I said they were without papers. They were poor and destitute of all the immigrants that came over. They were some of the most poor. I said there was a lot of violence in America due to, you know, poor people in Europe from Italy and from Eastern Europe the violent socialist anarchists and the 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 Palmer rage were horrible but it was to answer real anarchists that were bombing stuff that was my grandparents and two generations later were great i, I wanted him to answer that about the immigration and how oh you know we want people to assimilate my my grandparents did but not a lot of them did you know i i i'm I, I don't know how to transfer it so I'll just, DM, I'll just dm you and say put you the date of which one it is on on the thing and it's a ten-minute thing, and I'll put the like one forty to one fifty or something if you're interested, because it's very bizarre. I think I think it, I think will it'll enlighten you a little, you know, really, um, you know, because it's just different.
0: Okay, Lance, I hear you. I, I will try to listen to to the episode again. I'm I'm not trying to defend like Green Lynn Greenwald or Tucker Carlson, no. like I said, I don't know them. Um, but for me, I have to focus more so on the liberal that tries to be my friend and smile in my face. And meanwhile, they're making laws to get me out their neighborhood. That's what I have to focus on.
1: 90%. um,
0: But thanks so much for calling in. It is past, past time. I do have to get going. But thanks so much for calling in, Lance.
5: Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thank you.
0: Okay, bye. All right, guys, thanks so much for joining me on Call In. It is definitely past my bedtime. So thank you guys so much for joining in. Uh, tune in. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to do one on Sunday, but thank you guys so much. And I am signing off.